They should officially begin to hit with hamsters. There we go. Oh, and they're getting the audio too. Warning, this podcast features adult subject matter, adult language, and things not meant for children to hear. Viewer discretion is advised. You've been warned. Live, ladies and gentlemen, on the I'm No Joe channel. Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of the I'm No Joe podcast, the show where every armchair quarterback can feel like an Eddie Bravo. Today, like most days, I have got my compatriot in MMA combat. I have got my vaping warrior here, my Wednesday night homeboy, my brother from another mother, the one and only Mr. Golf to Vapes. How the fuck are you doing this evening, brother? Dude, I'm having some mixed emotions tonight. I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of shit going on and a lot of shit coming up that's pretty fucking exciting. Along with some shit that's a little bit of a fucking um, whirlwind situation that's going on. We'll see what happens. It's going to be fun either way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, as we like to do around here, we're going to kick things off at the top of the show with some news and recent events. Um, we are going to start first and foremost here with a little chunk, just a little uh, recap time, if you will, from this past weekend's card. Um, wow, Boston. The judges were just shit. Just absolute shit. To be fair, we didn't have a whole lot of fights go to the judges in Boston, but it seemed like every fight that went to a judge's decision was just blatantly outright backwards. Every, every one of them for the most part. Um, Now, the problem is, aside from the Boston judges being shit last weekend we also got in my opinion an example of a shit boston referee as well specifically talking about the macy barber stoppage and i did go back and actually re-watch that fight again today just to make sure it wasn't a biased in the moment you know assumption that i made when i made my initial notes on this here and i i stand by what i said in the moment here if you go back and watch the fight Yes, Macy Barber pours on a fucking barrage, and she clearly clipped Robertson with a couple of those shots. But as the referee steps in, she had just thrown a punch that hit Robertson's guard, and Robertson was actually extending her arm, throwing a punch at Barber in return when the referee steps in between the two of them. That's horrible, horrible fucking stoppage. Yes, she got worked but she survived and was going on the rebound and was actively countering 
when the referee stepped in to stop the fight. And now we've got Macy Barber, who is even more in her own fucking head than she was before, unjustifiably, again, on a horrible fucking fight to make a claim off of. I already wrote it on my glove. I knew I was going to do this. Shut the fuck up. The problem with having shit referees is that we get a situation like this where once again, we've got somebody who's just getting fast tracked to the top because they keep winning and an example of a horrible fucking win at best. But in her head, she's this big fucking rising star who's still undefeated, who keeps getting great wins in front of crowds. And now we've got another, essentially a, for all intents and purposes, contender series victor getting the push again. She may not be, you know, a contender series per se, but this is the same thing that they do to those contender series fighters. You come in off a win against a fucking soup can and they put a rocket on your ass and try and send you straight up the top of the fucking ladder. The problem is they're tying you to a bottle rocket. And when you get to the top, there's a big fucking pop and then you fall. At this point, it's only a matter of time before we see Macy's Barber's little pop and then descent back down into soup can mediocrity because she doesn't do anything that spectacularly. The hype that she has got, in my opinion, is completely unjustified. She is average at best, which to her credit, hey, it got you to the UFC. There are plenty of people in the UFC who are mediocre at best, but know your place, stay in your fucking lane. And the problem with getting shit decisions like this, in this case, because of a shit referee, is that we get shit fighters who all of a sudden give themselves an unjustified ego. Ask Francis Ngannou how it works out when your ego gets ahead of your talent. Yep. There's a reason why he fell all the way back and then had to get himself back together. Had to work hard to get back to where he was. I think for... Especially fucking Macy. That that fight, watching that unfold and that terrible stoppage, I called it right as I fucking saw the fight to him. Like, she just threw a fucking punch. I'm like, she was still defending. She wasn't... Don't get me wrong. She got clipped and hit a couple times. Absolutely. But most of the shots that were being thrown were fucking missing her. She yeah. was basically Robertson, going in there like a bully of a fucking charge. Yeah. And she was... Even that, some of them weren't even hitting her guard. They were just fucking completely missing. So I think what it, and I want to play devil's advocate for a second just to give the referee a benefit of the doubt here. Maybe from the angle he was standing at, he couldn't actually see them landing because he came in kind of from the backside a little bit. Right. Yeah. He absolutely. So it may have looked like she was getting fucking lit up, Uh, but she really wasn't because when you see the side angle of that, there's some of a lot of those were fucking missing. The worst thing I have about this is Macy Barber's hype train was built by her fucking mouth. The only, the biggest problem that this win creates, it lets her run her fucking alligator mouth again. And she did immediately. Yeah. And look, I want to support any fighters that come out of Wisconsin because that's where I live. I can't in good conscience support her at all. She's, no more than fucking run-of-the-mill, we need somebody to fill this division fucking trash. I can't even say Sue can at this point because they're literally feeding her the bottom of the barrel right now. And she looks like a bull in a china shop most of the time that she's going in there. There's no fucking... 
She's got no form. It's just fucking just wild. Look, yeah. don't get me wrong. There are some wild fighters out there, but there are wild fighters with form. She's not one of them. She's just going in there to bull rush people. She looks like a fucking female Brock Lesnar, the way Brock Lesnar used to play. Don't right. get me wrong. Head the, down, difference, the difference between her and Brock, though, <clears throat> Brock actually had a wrestling background. And I'm not talking about WWE. He right. had a legitimate collegiate level, high level wrestling game. Absolutely. Her, she does not have that. She's just, um, for a while, I'll say, she's had a horseshoe up her ass, and Brock Lesnar is not here to pull it out of her ass and hit her over the head with it. That's the problem. Although Is she is going to run into that um, person at some point, and I can't wait oh, yeah. till it happens. Yeah, no, and it's going to. It's absolutely going to. The problem is, in the meanwhile, we have to endure more of the bullshit, which immediately started falling directly out of her mouth. So, but there's a, the mouth. Yeah. So... Next thing about last weekend. For a Friday, I it's it felt weird to see fights on a Friday night. Even my wife commented, wait, there's fights tonight? It's Friday. And I went, Yeah, I know, I know. It's I know I get it. I know it's weird. Yes. But we were treated as MMA fans to a flat out full bell to bell fucking war in Yair versus Stevens, the rematch I pokier. Thank goodness. Bless the MMA deities. We did not have another I poke situation. We got an absolute fucking loot three round top to bottom back and forth. You have no idea where this is going. War. We saw absolute fucking absolute decimation and recovery on both sides of the octagon here stevens that i don't understand how he survived that liver shot because that exact shot has put him away twice before once very recently so word is clearly out that if you can catch stevens with a body kick to that side he'll crumple like a fucking bag of potato chips it's happened now multiple times, all on fairly large platforms as well. The problem was, this time, somehow, he figured out a way to recover, and not only recover, stayed active while he was doing this to the extent that Kevin McDonald was right there, because I watched the whole main card again this evening just to get a little refresher. Kevin McDonald was literally right there on top of the action, moving around. Anytime there was a thing, he yelled, defend yourself. When they were up against the fence, he would yell, watch your toes in the cage. Like, Kevin McDonald was on his shit. Stevens never legitimately compromised himself in the recovery, got back at it, and absolutely hurt Yair several times in the turnaround because Yair burnt so much fucking gas trying to tank Stevens away in that moment. And Stevens had turtled up, was using his guard properly, didn't actually absorb a lot of the shots, again, that Yair was raining guarded up properly and the shots were just coming down on the arms they were coming down on the back of the hands and not a lot of them made through and it let jeremy stevens recover and when he did that motherfucker was throwing haymakers at yair and clipped him with several real good ones put that boy on his ass real hard a couple times there and landed some just devastating fucking shots you almost forget that you're watching a pair of 145 pound dudes 
when you see some of the fucking shots landed from this fight. My only real problem with this fight, because again, when it goes to the judges, you don't get a say in the matter. Especially in this situation when we're talking about the refs or the, the judges specifically having clearly made wrong calls throughout the course of the night. You can tell by everyone's face in that octagon when they said that Yair won that. You could see how they would, but you can't really agree with it. Yes, it was a close match, and they went the full three. But Yair, for the damage that he did in the moments that he had, I don't feel had control of that fight more than Jeremy did. Neither did Jeremy, neither did any of the teams on either side there, with the exception of Yair, who immediately smiled when they raised his hand. But my biggest problem with this outcome of it being a judge's decision and it going to Yair is that Yair is turning around and trying to build himself a case for a title shot off of this fight. I will say this. That was an absolute war. It was a legitimate back and forth. Those two are absolutely fairly evenly matched in terms of style, strength, and conditioning. Everything that we look for in a three-round fight. The problem is Jeremy Stevens is ranked number eight, and I believe justifiably so. So in going in a full three-round war against number eight and just narrowly hedging that bet, I don't think that puts you in a position to jump six other guys then in front of you and go after a belt. Realistically, you should be aiming for five at this point, I feel. Maybe four, but secure yourself a top status. You're barely above number 10. You're barely in the top 10 rankings. You narrowly edged in a decision victory number eight. You don't get to just make the full jump you got to crawl a little bit. You might be taking baby steps, but you're not ready to run yet. You've still got to get a couple more platforms in there, I feel. And Yair, of course, immediately is already, you know, diarrhea at the mouth. I'm the next champion. I'm the future of this generator, or the future of this division, blah, 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 blah. You know, the biggest travesty I have in this fight, not necessarily at Elcom, because to be honest, I look at it, it could have been called either way. Absolutely. The, the biggest travesty is not him going for a title fight, even though I really think that's fucking stupid because you don't deserve that after a war with a number eight round guy and you didn't put him away definitively. The biggest travesty is that this was not a five round fight like it was supposed to be. Right. Because you know what? Those extra two rounds could have made all the difference. I think what really swayed the fucking judges in this because of that travesty of not being five rounds was that early liver shot in the first that, dropped, that put him down. And 10, eight, it, easy. Well, that was an easy 10-8 round. No fucking questions. That, card could, that fight could have been called a draw on the next two rounds. Um, Absolutely. Having fucking... Big back and forths, yeah. Yeah, having big back and forths since... Seeing what Jeremy Stevens did in the second and third, he could have easily won both of those rounds and fucking had it called a fucking draw. And then we wouldn't be in this situation of listen to him, oh, I want a title fight. Um, it, it actually blows my mind that they didn't give them the five rounds that they had for the 
I gouge situation. I, I get it because it wasn't the main event on the card and they don't generally do that. But those guys' initial contract that they signed was four or five rounds. And I'm sure when the rematch came up, they knew it was three rounds, so they signed the contract with three rounds. But in all actuality, I think they sh- the UFC should have done the right thing there and kept it as the five-round fight because they were already prepared. They literally did it a month fucking later. There's not a whole lot of change that you're going to do in a month to go from um, five rounds to three rounds. That's just what it is. But don't get me wrong, the fight itself was an absolute war. How fucking Stevens managed to bring himself back from the brink of death after that liver shot blew my fucking mind. Because I'm like, dude, I was like, I was, I thought it was over. I really did. When I saw him crumble with that liver kick, I was like, yep. Good yeah, fight, Yair. Well done. Now you can make your call. Uh, but then he survived that shit. And then turned it around? Yeah, all I can say is that gives me a whole new level of respect for Stevens. Like, I, I had respect for Stevens already because I knew he was a tough motherfucker. He's been in a lot of wars. But that was a whole new fucking level. There's not very many fighters you see come out of there after getting folded with a liver kick that come back. Well, right. One of the toughest motherfuckers in the game, Cowboy Cerrone, he's been taken out with liver say. kicks before. I was and just going to use that example, too. He's one I of have the not seen ever. him come back from one yet. No. Uh, you know no. what that tells me? Stevens might be a little tougher than Cowboy in that sense. He may not have the same I'm going to fight everybody mentality, but I mean, it was a fantastic fight. But that, the biggest travesty of that entire fight is that the UFC, I think, fucked the fans by not making it a five-round fight um, like it was initially scheduled to be. But I understand because it's not the main event card and the way their cards now work. Everything's three until the main event. Right. Or unless it's a title fight. So <clears throat> I get it on their side. but And then after the initial fight was over, the first one from the eye poke, they have to sign a new fucking contract because that contract is now null and void. So I get that. They probably went, oh, well, we're just going to make it three, which for me, that really sucked because that would have been a fucking phenomenal five-round war. Yeah, realistically, they could have swapped main and co-main. We would have been better for it. Yeah. I can agree with you wholeheartedly there because that was that was fighting in the night right there. It was absolutely, fucking- absolutely, undeniably, <laughs> and literally when that fight ended, one of the first things I said was, "Unless Reyes Weidman does fucking fireworks start to finish, that's fight of the night." Because that was an absolute fucking war from both gentlemen there, and it it absolutely showed the 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 character and the the grit that both of those guys have it was fucking on display for everybody to see it was a thing of beauty it really was i was quite thrilled with it yeah and then again like we use like we like to use as an example more often than not at the end of a fight where there was so much fucking animosity they turn around and they shake fucking hands and they hug and they have nothing but good things to say about each other and there's fucking respect on both parts. There's good sportsmanship, even in Steven's part in losing. There was good sportsmanship. So Yoani Ujacek could take a fucking page out of either one of those books there. From yep. But speaking of books that got closed, uh, the question of can a 185-er ever successfully move up to light heavyweight to make a challenge at 205? Uh, there's a question that a lot of us have wondered and a lot of us have speculated 
Um, I think one of the biggest problems is that the examples we keep getting given are not gentlemen in their prime who have decided that 185 just isn't for them and they want to, you know, bulk up a little more and fight at 205. All of the examples, at least of recent highlights, have been guys who have already made a successful run through 185 in both of the recent situations were current or were former belt holders, champions of 185, fought in other organizations at 185, so had a good chunk of career behind them already, and then decided to go up to 205. And the problem is, is that both of the recent gentlemen we have seen of note moving from 185 to 205 had both had the same problem that does not have any bearing or impact from weight change and that is when the old chin goes from granite to glass and it doesn't happen to everyone but it does happen when you get put out enough times with a shot to the jaw with a good head shot the chin starts to go the trigger gets a little easier to trip and in both of these situations both Luke Rockhold and Chris Weidman, both former champions in the UFC, both former champions in other organizations. I think one came from Strike Force and one from WBC, um, but both former champions in their own right in, you know, multiple different organizations at 185. Both gentlemen who walk around north of 185, but have put serious road miles in on their MMA career at 185, forcing their body down to that tier. And then trying at the, I'm not going to say the end, but definitely the later portion of both of their careers, deciding to then take that governor off at 185 and try and let it go full throttle to, to light heavyweight. And the body responds, but the chin is the same chin that you had at 185. So even though you're bigger, even though you're carrying a little more muscle, you got a little better frame, the power is a little more increased that we've seen. It doesn't fucking matter if your chin is already glass because now you're just a bigger dude who can get knocked out with just one good clean shot on the jaw. And that's exactly what we saw this weekend. And the problem here is that now we have Reyes who, again, you're in the UFC, so there's a certain credit to be given there, but realistically has not been challenged to this point, has not fought a legitimate top contender at this point, has basically been picking off the weak and the sickly and the stragglers of the herd at 205 and calling them all stepping stones to the title. Well, now we're in a point where you just knocked out an already no chin having Chris Weidman, who was not even ranked at 205 because this was his first fight up from the lower division. So you're going to use a fight against a guy who was literally unranked and untested at 205 to give yourself contention for a title that you're currently still ranked number four, meaning there's still three other guys ahead of you. I'm... I'm at a loss for this one because, look, I thought he looked fucking fantastic coming out. But I knew he had chin problems. We knew that before he made the move up. We knew the same thing with Rockwell. But what I 
here, here's my biggest problem with this. A lot of these guys who have fought at 185 for a, a large portion of their career, they don't generally make a really good move up ever. But we've seen time and time again, especially really recently here with two former champions. And that's a, that's a problem for me because most of them that are deciding to make the big jump, the 20 pounds, the 205, that's a fucking huge jump. That's a whole lot of power difference in 20 pounds. Let's, let, let's look at it this way. This is the difference between getting hit with a five-pound sack of potatoes and a 25-pound sack of potatoes. There's a 20-pound difference there. Somebody drops that shit on your head, you're going to feel the difference. It's a huge fucking big just cha change for them, especially somebody who knows they've been knocked out on more than one occasion. They've got a lot of road mileage. That shit doesn't work for everybody. There's very few fighters who you've seen go up from 185 to 205 that have had legitimately decent runs or good runs. Um, the most prominent example I can think of right now is probably going to be somebody who is now going to be fighting at heavyweight that we've been speaking about recently, um, Mr. Anthony Rumble Johnson. He fought at 185. He also fought Don at 170 once or twice, I forget. He fought at 170, 185. He fought at 205, did fantastically well, challenged for the title, and now he's moving up. And so I'm just saying it, it ought to be pretty interesting for him, but for the rest of these guys who are getting into the back nine of their careers, as we like to say, it's not for them. It's, it's something that's just a really bad fucking decision where it's not going to work out well. Right now, all I can say is I think Anthony Rumble Johnson, he's the fucking exception to this rule here because we've seen him at 185 and he did work. We've seen him at 205 and he did work. We've even seen him in his few fights at 170 where he did some fantastic Yeah, he work. did appear at 170, ironically, and had some fucking how. Yeah, I don't know how that big yoked motherfucker got his big-ass frame they, down to that. but They must have put him in a vice and juiced him like a fucking fruit, man. Take him to the juicing room. That's exactly what happened. So, I mean, for the most part, though, I think this is going to be that turning point where now that we've seen two people do it, go back-to-back -back, who are in that back nine of their career and hoping to re -kick, restart the fire, I think that's going to dissuade a lot of people from fucking going and actually trying to make the jump to a more natural weight for them. Which for me, it's kind of a it's kind of a double edged sword because look, if you're good at the weight class you're fighting at and you're putting on phenomenal fights, stay there. However, there's the other part of me that wants to see people fight at their nat natural weight classes not fucking cutting down so goddamn much. This isn't high school wrestling anymore. You shouldn't have to spit in a fucking can for two hours before you're weighing just to make weight. So, See, but I, I have a, I have a, a similarly double-edged opinion on this, but a little bit different here. Um, to me, this is absolutely a twofold result here. One, I, it, it, to counter your point here, this doesn't dissuade me at all. In, in encouraging guys to fight closer to your weight class. Fight it closer to what you walk around at. 
the, the thing that this proves to me, or it speaks to, to me is that the difference in fighting closer to your weight class in the average situation and the difference of fighting closer to your weight class, talking about the, uh, the light heavyweights here and the 85ers is that in a normal weight class situation here, we're talking 10 pounds, 25, 35, 15, 25, 35, 45, 55. That's where the jump comes in a little bigger here. That's where we've seen guys like Conor McGregor have the problem because then you've got to jump from lightweight to welterweight where you go. Your audio second. just went crazy. My audio? I didn't even say anything. When you unmuted, it sounded like you had a cicada sitting on your microphone. Apparently there's cicadas in my office. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I don't know. But when you talk about the jump from lightweight to welterweight, you're talking about going 115 or 155 to 170. That's a 15-pound jump. And we saw how drastic of a difference that was for guys like Connor, who looked spectacular at 55 but weren't acclimated to fighting at 70. Then you've got 70 to 85, so it's another 15-pound jump. 70 to 85 is still a, a fairly significant jump. But even further than that, you go 85 to 205. That's a full 20-pound jump. We've seen guys go back and forth from 170 to 185 because those two weights are basically real similar. You're talking about the average same pound guy cutting down depending on how hard their body will allow them to cut weight, which class they find themselves falling in. But when you're talking about going from 185 to 205, that's a solid 20 pounds just of weight loss for the scale. That's not compensating for the difference in the water weight that you have to lose if you're a bigger guy cutting to 205 because you talk about cutting 85 there's a lot of guys that walk around 205 210 pounds who will tell you they walk around 210 pounds but they still cut to 185 instead of fighting at 205 versus the most part of the guys fighting at 205 are cutting down from 260 250 they're cutting down from walking at full heavyweight to fight 205 there's no other division in the ufc where guys cut that hard to get to that division and it's i this is one of those situations where i absolutely agree with joe rogan the fact that the ufc still adopts these stupid fucking arbitrary boxing style weight classes because they don't want too many belts is is absolute bullshit i agree 100 there needs to be some restructuring um I'm not sure if I 100% agree with the 165 thrown in down there. I think that 15-pound jump is a little more acceptable. Where I think the problem needs to, to really be addressed is between 205 and 265. That is way too massive. That is 60 pounds of difference between two weight classes. And the difference from trying to go from one to the other is extreme on either side, depending on how you're going. But the fact that most of the guys at 205 could easily be natural heavyweights shows how much more those guys are willing to cut to get to 205. And you don't get that same drastic cut level and the guys fighting at 185. And I think that's just part of the tipping point here. I think 85 is where it needs to start being restructured up. I think 85 to 200 would be a little more acceptable. And then maybe 2 to 215 
215 to 230 and then 230 to 265 if you want to keep a bigger upper heavyweight class but i think 85 is just a doorstep where the the guys really start to put a, a severely drastic amount of weight cut on their bodies and the, the difference is just it's too clear in situations like this well i think here's my biggest issue with the restructuring thing i really think that it needs to be done but i mean i think it needs to start a little bit lower and they need to adjust the weight classes a, a little bit instead of going from 155 to 170 adjust it to 165 adjust your 170 weight class to 175 and 85 95 and a 205 and then do the 15 pound jumps up the heavy yeah, because be that okay makes that. a lot more sense for me because then you're doing the 10 pound increments until you get to the light heavyweight to the big and guys. Yeah. Then you do the 15 pound increments until you get to that 265 upper. Yeah, which, no, I, I think that would absolutely work as well. A lot better than it's working now. Because I mean, it's that, and then we wouldn't see some of these guys trying to make this ridiculous fucking 20 pound jump up for somebody who's cutting 40 pounds. Yeah, to be twice their fucking size. I mean, they're not literally twice their fucking size, but Damn the point man. remains that it's a huge fucking difference because you figure those guys that cut 40 pounds to make weight, the next day they're 30 pounds heavier. Here in fucking teed with at water least, weight and everything. At least, yeah. Oh, because they've done fucking eight good after morning weigh-ins, fucking piss pound in water and fucking... Electrolyte fluids. Fucking yep. Pedialyte, whatever the fuck it is they're giving them. Yeah. And I, I definitely needs to be restructured. Now, when I said dissuade people, I don't, I'm not saying I want to dissuade fighters from doing it. I think it's going to dissuade the fighters from doing it themselves. Yeah, yeah. Because I, they see what's so. happened with these legitimate, um, I'll call them legends in sport, because they really are at this yeah, point. Yeah, no, they both, were, both of them earned it, yeah. They've, they've earned that, maybe not the top of the rankings list ever, but they were both legitimate legends in the sport. They've held titles. It's going to be a thing where people are going to have to look at it and go, do I really want to do that to myself? And if I'm going to make that jump, do I wait that late in my career? Or should I just do it now and say, fuck it? Well, I still have a good chin on my head. If it's taught those fighters anything, I would expect them to say, you know, maybe it's time for me to make the jump now while I'm still in good head form. Right. Well, yeah, well, I still have a chin. Yeah, because, I mean, that's what we're seeing. These guys taking up with fucking going up weight classes with no fucking chin and they're just getting knocked out. And that's a problem. So, as I said, there's a few exceptions to the rule, but not very many. I mean, you figure there's been a few fighters in UFC history that have gone up and down weight classes that legitimately had good fights at every weight class. BJ Penn was one. Rumble Johnson, Rumble. There, there's a there's a few of them legitimately that were um there. So I mean, it's kind of a it's kind of a toss up on where I see that. But yeah. well, and then the ironic part is that we've got Jared Cannonier making his campaign for that on the opposite side of that. He started um, as nearly a 300 pound man who was cutting to make 265 to fight heavyweight, who is now walking at 187, making weight at 185 without cutting anything. Fucking amazing. That dude literally lost half his body and is walking around at 187, fighting at 185 right now. 
that dude is going the opposite way. Yeah, he's a fucking beast, and he's a unicorn in terms of the weight cutting process and the that we talk about here going completely backwards against the grain, but he's doing it properly. So hats off to him, and he's absolutely on the champs radar now. So he's doing something right. But from there, we will talk about an interesting situation that resulted in uh, last weekend. A certain gentleman whose name does not get mentioned on my show because he's a piece of shit. So we'll refer to him as Voldemort here. uh, Fought the Combat Wombat. Fucking spectacular name. Glorious half mullet rocking out. Dude put on a hell of a motherfucking show. And in the middle, in between rounds two and three of Voldemort versus the Combat Wombat, I love saying that fucking name. Uh, Voldemort, his dumbass self, asked the in-ring commission monitor if he could use his inhaler, to which they said, I don't know. Are you cleared to have it? And he looked at him and said, yeah, it's USADA approved. And then hit his fucking albuterol inhaler in between rounds during the fight. Immediately, Dominic Cruz and DC both said, well, that's it. That's the end of the fight. The fight's over. You can't do that. That's absolutely 100% illegal. So the fight goes to the judges. Again, another example of Boston Chuches being fucking garbage. They gave it to Voldemort, who never really had a shining moment in the whole fight legitimately the combat wombat put the pressure on had more significant strikes had more octagon control in my in my opinion here had the closest thing to an actual like knockdown in the fight but again boston fucking judges give the fight to Voldemort. in the press conference Voldemort's stupid ass says it's cleared by usada i'm allowed to have it it was 100 percent legal there shouldn't be any issue because of it i don't expect there to be any issue because of it well then Dana White comes out and does his little piece and says, this guy's a big mouth fucking idiot. And him and his entire corner team should have fucking known that that was illegal to do, that it's most likely going to get overturned. Literally four fucking minutes after Dana says that, the announcement comes across from the commission. They officially ruled it no longer when it is now officially a no contest. Dipshit says that he's going to appeal it, so they explain to him the rules. No, you don't get to appeal this. Yes, your inhaler is approved by USADA for out-of-competition use. There is no such thing as an in-ring inhaler being allowed on a USADA list. You get it cleared so that you can use it during training, and if that shows up in your chemical test it is not immediately disqualifying for you. You don't get to use it sitting on your fucking stool because your fat ass can't breathe between rounds two and three. If that's the case, you throw in the towel, not the inhaler. That's how that fucking works. But that's not what we saw. So immediately after that, literally, it was dubbed inhaler gate immediately, which was absolutely fucking hilarious. And before... (laughs) Voldemort himself even made it out to the actual official post-fight press conference table. It had already made its way around, and he still tried to defend himself. 
when they put him on the microphone. This fucking idiot still tried to defend himself after breaking the rules and then being explained how he broke the rules and what he did that exactly broke the rules and what he should not have done, then tried to justify it again. This fucking idiot. I don't understand why Dana White is trying so hard to shove this woman-beating piece of shit down the throats of fans so aggressively, but it gets fucking worse. When you think it can't, it does. Because not only did Inhalergate result in this fucking idiot getting a win turned into a no contest and a permanent asterisk on his fucking record, but then we find out just within the last 24 hours that after Dana White called Voldemort a big mouth fucking idiot who should have known better, it turns out JDS has a life-threatening infection and is in the hospital and will not be able to fight in his upcoming battle in UFC Moscow. So what does Dana White's big, bald, stupid ass do? He gives the last-minute replacement to fucking Voldemort. This idiot who keeps disqualifying himself against fucking soup cans just gains himself a fucking prime spotlight. Now, the only, and I mean only single fucking ray of solitary sunshine slash silver lining that has come from this shitstorm of an announcement that we have been rained down with is that this will be the first time this piece of shit will face legitimate vetted contention. He has been getting soup can after soup can after soup can to the extent that one of the soup cans that he fought after the fight, Dana White then immediately said, I want to know who the fuck fudged that guy's resume because he's clearly never been in a fight in his life. But yet that's one of the fights they're using to justify giving this fucking idiot the main event against Volkov in Russia. I got a correction for that. They have now switched that to the co-main event. Okay, so at least well, at least there's that. Okay, but still, yeah. this is uh, way minor. bigger of a platform that this piece of shit deserves. I was perfectly happy seeing him relegated to fight nights in UFC on ESPN's. You know, even the co-main event, I get it. They're trying to do something with a fucking off-brand night. Keep him on fucking basic bitch TV. Now we're putting him in a fucking primetime spotlight and he's getting last-minute notification on it. But the good part about that is that Volkov is no fucking slouch. He is tested. He is legit. We might get to see a legitimate fighter coming up against Voldemort here, which for all intents and purposes 
should show us exactly just how green this fucking idiot is into MMA against a seasoned legitimate veteran. And if we're really lucky, we're going to get the best post-fight interview ever. They say, this is why you don't let wife beaters into the UFC. Right? I'm I am ready to see Volkov have a my balls was hot moment. Yep. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. That, that could possibly be the best <laughs> ever post-fight interview when that fight is done with. I I, I think I'm going to have to find, get on the Instagrizzles and um, inbox him every day. Please say this after you beat his ass. Please right, say this please, after you beat please, his please, ass. please, please. He's going to put it on speed dial. Just bat, 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 daily. Like on the hour. I'll just, <laughs> I'm going to set a bot to do this shit for me because I can't stand Oh. <sighs> Piece of shit. I don't want to talk about him anymore. I'm done. Right. Okay. So from there, we'll move along to something enjoyable to talk about. The holy shit up kicking kid, Nico Price himself, has officially and now publicly twice called out the one and only Aluminum Mike Perry. The problem with this is that Aluminum Mike Perry is completely ignoring Nico Price trying to call out Robbie Lawler. How that jump is supposed to make any sense to anyone, I don't understand. I think the Nico Price fight is fucking perfect for both of them because they're both at a point where they need a name win to become continuously relevant again. Nico on his way out for the first time Aluminum Mike on his fucking crunch on crunch, crunch on crunch run like he fucking does because aluminum. But either way, I don't think either one of them at this point deserve a Robbie Lawler matchup. Least of all, Aluminum Mike coming off that fucking nose break of a lifetime. But uh, we'll see how that one comes out. Um, and then there was the other thing that I want to talk about from last weekend. If you did not get the chance to sit down and watch BKFC 8 last weekend, you have done yourself a disservice as a combat sport fan. This was one of the best examples of why I love bare knuckle fighting. And I think it has such a legitimate place right next to kickboxing and submission grappling and combat jujitsu and UFC one rise in Bellator slash, you know, MMA promotions. This fucking card top to bottom was filled with people who start the bell and get the fuck after it until you're unconscious, your opponent's unconscious or somehow a fucking bell rings in the round end. This was a beautiful night of just absolute devastating fucking boxing. Not all knockouts. There was a couple that went to the judge's decision. There was a couple where you saw two legitimate, talented, skilled fucking boxers having actual bare-knuckle street street fight-style fucking wars. And then there was some fucking big old just slobber knockers that came in, haymaker throwing, tooth flinging, somebody going to sleep kind of fights. It was just something for everyone on the combat spectrum here. And 
in two weeks, well, two and a half weeks, I guess, two weeks and some days, November 16th, shortly after MSG, we get BKFC9, Artem versus Jason Knight 2. And if you have any interest whatsoever in the world of bare knuckle fighting and the potential that this has to show you just how badass two individuals can be, go back and watch the original Artem Lobov versus Jason Knight BKFC matchup because those gentlemen showed you exactly what it means to be an absolute fucking warrior in a cage. Those two dudes are friends, which is what makes this even fucking crazier. They're legitimate friends and training partners. They love each other. And they go to fucking war. And they beat the shit out of each other. They both broke hands. They both had stitches and staples and all sorts of good shit. And they're going at it again. And they're trying to set themselves up to become champions in BKFC. And I think both of them have legitimate claims to make against the U uh, or a, a BKFC belt rather. So if you didn't get to see it this week, and I encourage everyone to go back and rewatch it and then keep your eyes peeled. We will definitely be talking about it more as it gets closer, but keep your eyes peeled for BKFC nine coming up this month, this next month rather, because Holy shit. Holy shit. So the last little thing I want to talk about, oh, no, excuse me, I have two more here. Uh, one more thing, uh, fight announcement that I just saw this morning. Um, as of right now, uh, they said prospectively co-main event. We'll see how it goes. I don't think it's going to be real co-main event. I think it's going to get bumped further down to docket because they've already got a lot on that card that they have rearranged since we conveniently talked about it last week. They change it the next fucking morning to make me look like an asshole. Uh, December 14th UFC 245 card has just been added. One Uriah Faber versus Peter Yan. That is going to be an interesting matchup to say the very least because I get that Faber wanted to come back. I don't agree with that fucking Ricky Simone stoppage at all. I think that was fucking pathetic. And the fact that Uriah showboated off of that just irked me that much more. But I think this is going to be a situation where Ricky Simone was a pretty well-rounded fighter and could have really hung with Uriah just about anywhere he went, in my opinion, aside from that stupid fucking stoppage. Peter Yan's a little more of a headhunter. Uh, Peter Yan is not really going to try to grapple with him, I don't think, but would still be capable of it. But Peter Yan, for a smaller guy, has mailboxes attached to his fucking hands and punches like he's got tanks in them gloves. And I think if he catches Uriah one time, he's going to send that old man back into fucking retirement. The California middle-aged man is going to have a hard nap if he runs into one of those hands from Peter Yan. Well, definitely be an interesting one. I did see that one pop up this morning. I was pretty, I was pretty excited to see that 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 actually got penned. Just because I saw rumors about it, but it, yeah, exactly. How shit gets penned, I don't really tend to fall into the shit. But that one was interesting to see. So, is um, that's definitely going to test the old man's abilities at this point. 
I have to call him old at this point. I mean, he's fucking in his, he's 40, 42 42, now. yeah, 42. He's the California middle-aged man now. He's not the yeah. kid anymore. So, I mean, don't be wrong. I'm impressed that he still wants to fight and still has the drive to do it at this age, which <clears throat> fucking more power to you, dude. You've done fantastic things over the course of your career. I right. can't even be mad. But I really think what we've seen out of Peter Yan so far, <laughs> he's in for a rude awakening to have to fight Peter Yan. I, I think he's severely overlooked the fight that he's got in front of him here. I think he's extremely lucky that he got the stoppage he did against Ricky Simone because I think that was a bad matchup for him. I think he got very lucky with a good crack right out the gate and a, a referee that just happened to feel advantageous at that moment because I think if Ricky Simone would have been allowed to get back up, like you clearly saw that he was capable of the second the fucking fight got stopped, I think that would have been a very, very different fucking world that we'd be talking about here. And I don't think that we're going to see anything like that with Peter Yen because he also has a chin. So even if Uriah does manage to catch an early shot on him, I don't think we'd see Yen go down the way Ricky Simone did, even though, you know, you never know. We'll see. But so from there, the last thing that I want to talk about news and recent events style here this weekend, not only do we have, UFC Singapore that we're going to get to here in just a little bit and talk about. We also have Bellator 231, Frank Mir versus Big Country 2 for some fucking reason. Another one of the Bellators letting old guys fight old guys they fought already before to name a card after them kind of situation. This is one of the things I really like Bellator. I know it doesn't sound like it all the time and I know I come down on them hard quite a bit, but they I feel like we have to here. If you want to be considered equal to the UFC, you have to get treated equal to the UFC. And I clearly have no problem shitting on Dana for running his fucking mouth and doing stupid shit in the UFC. So I'm going to do the same fucking thing to Scott Coker here. I absolutely love that they are willing to pick up a good number of UFC fighters released from the organization and give them a shot to keep going in Bellator. But not everyone released from the UFC needs to keep fighting. Sometimes they're released for a fucking reason. And the problem is, is that Bellator has scooped up most of the bigger named athletes who have been released from the UFC. And then we have a situation where we're seeing a 40, what is he, 46 now? Roy Nelson, 46 yeah, or 47? 46. Somewhere around 46-year-old, gray-haired, Dad bod rocking, clearly lost all of the steps Roy Nelson against the like 44-year-old, still fairly healthy, but suspiciously so, Frank Mir. Still bad knees. Yeah, still got the fucking knees wrapped up, still wearing the fucking ankle wraps. Just, it's, it's not a good fight, and it's not a good headline, and it's not a good look for MMA overall to encourage these guys to keep going like that. But on, on the other hand, if watching these two grandpas pretend fight Rappel their way through an octagon is what it takes to get us another Mr. Newell fight, I'm willing to go through it because we've got another fight on our hands this weekend. That's right. Mr. Newell is back. The first fight on his multi-fight contract with Bellator. Fuck you, Dana. They got him. Scott Coker's got him. Tonight's going to be the next Newell show that will be, uh, not this, tonight, but this weekend, rather, will be the next 
episode of the new old show where we will get to see that young man showcase his fucking plethora of talents that he has got under his belt but that's all the news i have unfortunately in the last couple of days of shenanigans i have managed to miss a couple of things luckily i surround myself with good folks who don't miss things so i'm gonna start with um something that's a i've got a couple more than what i just told you i just wanted to see what you had and no, you're had a couple here you're good, um, you're good. First one, a little bit of somber news just came out today. Um, the one, the only, the natural, Randy Couture. He is currently in intensive care. As he currently had a heart attack. So um, just uh, as a fight fan and a guy that I really, really looked up to as a fighter, enjoyed watching. Heart goes out to him, his family. I wish him nothing but the best and a speedy recovery. I'm Absolutely. sure he's got the best fucking doctors in the world working on him right now and making sure that he pulls through here. It, look, it just as an FYI to everyone, if some don't feel right, go get checked because even somebody who is still in as fantastic a shape as he is, that shit can happen to anybody. So know your body. If something doesn't feel quite right, go immediately get seen, get checked because shit can happen. Better to um, find out it was nothing. Yeah. And the... Let's move on to some really good news. This is something we actually talked about a week or two ago. A one Mr. Sergio Pettis has now signed a multi-fight contract with Bellator. Multi-fight contract. We were saying, go to the fucking money, son. We said it the other week. We were calling it. I said I didn't want to see him leave the UFC, but at the same time, I understand going where the money's at. Fuck yeah. And he's going to tear that fucking division. He's going to rip Bellator the fuck apart. You yeah, better I'm, watch I'm out calling it now. He will be champ of that division. Garen fucking T. Without a doubt. It, it was awesome to see that. That news just broke today. So it was something that just came out today. And I was thoroughly impressed to see that. So tip my hat to you, Sergio. Good fucking call. Um, go get Common Depot to sponsor your ass. That's an extra hundred grand to fight right there. Right. Just saying. Yeah, sponsors are back, baby. <laughs> That's right. We're making that money, that scratch, get there. Um, so, with those two things out of the way there, the other one that is a really big fucking piece of news here um, is going to highly affect UFC 244 two weeks out. Or, well, in this case, a week. Because um, we're a little week and a half-ish. But um, apparently, I, I would say supposedly. Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, Nate Diaz um, decided to, um, excuse me, I'm losing my mind here. Nate Diaz put out a tweet earlier today that states he supposedly had pissed hot. Now. He went in length on his tweet. So if you haven't seen it, go out and look for it. There's already a couple articles out there on it. But basically, it is the rundown of, look, I don't cheat. I'm going to pull myself from this card, even though there's been nothing released from this yet. There apparently, he also put in there, someone told him to be quiet until after the fight is over. Did not drop a name. But he said, I'm not a fucking cheater. So I'm not going to do that just to make money. He also put in there, as we all know, he only takes 
whole food and natural food supplements. He doesn't even eat fucking meat. He's a goddamn vegan. And he called out USADA, the UFC, and whoever the fuck has their goddamn hands in this pot to figure it out. And he ended let me let me pull this up so I can get this right, because I don't want to misquote this. He said, let me say, I call false on that. Uh, and not going to have my name tainted as a cheater like these other motherfuckers who have kept quiet until after the fight is over just so I can get paid. Fuck cheaters. Then he also says, sorry, fight game. I'll see you when I see you. And I'm just done fucking giving a brief quote there. It's not exact, so I'm just... But I'm, I'm inclined to say on this one here, I am highly in Nate Diaz's corner on this. Look, he's been calling out people for juicing for years. This he's is one of the first guy... One of his most famous statements is, everybody's on steroids. Yeah, Literally. And, it's been something he's been calling out for years, and he's always, always been that person. Never once. Look, yeah, we know they made a big fuss about him vaping a CBD pen after a fight one time. They make a big fuss because he smokes pot. That's why he they smoked do- that CBD joint at the open workouts. Yeah. For Pettis. That's it. And look, they, he fucking, he's a, not only a fighter. He runs a successful CBD business. He does triathlons. He runs an MMA gym with his brother and a jiu-jitsu classes for fucking kids, for Christ's sakes. He's a goddamn vegan. Right fucking there. Vegan. Vegans don't put shit into their body that they don't know what it is. That's what vegans do. I mean, they might not know what type of grass that is, per se, down to the exact... (laughs) Whatever, but they're fucking vegans. I mean, they eat what my food eats. So I have nothing bad to say about him at all, other than the fact that, dude, get yourself a fucking steak. But hey, whatever floats your boat, man. I have to say, I'm 100% behind him on this, as well as the person he's supposed to be fighting, Jorge Masvidal, also said the same thing. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, I know you're not a cheater. I'll see you next week. It what it it blows my mind that this even popped up. And is this a case of? Oh, let's put it this way. Look, some of these tests have gotten so goddamn good that they put pick up these nano micron shifts or whatever. Is this that spot where we get in testing where it brings up a false positive on somebody who's not cheating? Or is this a case of he did get a tainted vegan supplement and he's going to end up like fucking a goddamn knight in shining armor because they're going to show it and show that he wasn't a cheater. It was somebody else that fucked him. I really, if anything at all comes with this, other than him fighting next week and then they don't figure it out in the next week, which... uh, UFC is prone to lose a lot of fucking money right here. A fucking shit ton. Because guess what? I'm not buying that card if he's not fighting. No. No, I'm no, not. A that, lot of people aren't going to either. 
So th- this is a really big thing. They better they have they have literally fucking nine days. You have nine fucking days to figure this shit out. Who's at fault? Call that person out or that entity. And is this possibly a spot where you sort of fucked up? And this is finally that spot where the UFC goes, okay, you know what? It's time for us to find a different independent tester. Because apparently you saw it can't get it done. Because, I mean, when you're pulling somebody like that and the amount of money that this is going to pull, it's fucking stupid. And my hat's off to Nate because you know what? He said it. I'm pulling myself because I'm not going to be known as a cheater and ruin my fucking legacy. He's never been that person. He never will be. I'm going to say it right now. I stand with Nate. That's all there is to it. Anybody who wants to fight that with me, don't bother. I will fucking ruin you. I agree. If anybody in the UFC is, I don't want to say above, but deserves the benefit of the doubt under suspicion of a situation like this, I would say it would absolutely qualify for Nate Diaz, for the fact that he's been screaming for years that everybody's on steroids, for the fact that he's openly and transparently vegan and completely healthy in everything that he eats and takes into his body, to the fact that he runs the triathlons and teaches children's classes, for fuck's sake. He literally has no benefit. He's one of the few people who has been willing to sit himself on the sidelines and not fight rather than take fights that the UFC offers you whenever they offer you one, offer one to you. So there's no benefit for him whatsoever to take steroids for a fight that he already legitimately had a decent chance of winning on his own. So I, I agree. I hope it does get cleared up and I do hope we get to see him next week fight. Like we're all hoping to on the other side of that. If we don't, I guarantee you, Nate Diaz will pay the $500 to get every single supplement he has tested. And if this is what this is coming from, we could be looking at Yoel Romero too, the Diaz payday. That's a, I'm 100% behind that because I really have, I want to know what I really want to know. I want him to name drop. Who the fuck told him who to keep it? quiet about it? Yeah. Who's Which one of these upper act, who was who the top tier guy here that told you to shut up? Was it, was it Dana? Because Dana knows he can save it. Because they built so much and had a fucking title made for a fight that doesn't yep. have a title for it. Was yeah, it maybe. Nick Maynard? Was it fucking any of the heads of the UFC? Sean Shelby, maybe? Maybe Sean Shelby. It could, it could have been any of them. I don't know. I'm speculating here, just shooting names out there that could possibly have been that person. But when you read his tweet out, it was literally done in notepad off of his iPhone. because You could see it. It was basically a screenshot. And Go ahead. It, it, it blows me out of the water that when I read that, that he named, he named the UFC, USADA, and then there just wasn't a name for the person who told him to shut up. And right. uh, look, I, I get the anonymity for some things, but this is not one of those things. This is something where that person needs to be thrown under the fucking bus because if they are one of those upper guys, we need to know about this as not only fight fans, 
but fans of a clean sport because right. then we know who is doing all of the covering when shit like this goes down. Like the fucking, let's go back to fucking Brock Lesnar, his last fight. One, but he popped hot prior to the fucking fight. So yeah. they already knew. So who told him? Who told him, keep your fucking trap shut, just go make your money, bye-bye. Who, who did it? Who's doing it again? I'm just saying, it's obviously happening because we've seen it happen on more, more than one occasion. Now it's getting called out in the public eye before right. it's even been dropped by USADA, which means it's going to be dropped by USADA, and we're going to find out whatever the fuck they're saying it was. Yep. And the funny and, thing is, I have a feeling it's going to be Dana, because if you look back at just the way that the UFC has been in regards to the few situations we've seen like this, they were few and far between, if ever, under the Fertitta era. Yep. This has all been since fucking WCE or WBE, whatever the fuck it is, the entertainment company. WME. WME, that's what it is. Since they bought the UFC. We didn't see this shit in 98. We didn't see this shit in the early 2000s. This is a recent development to take the money and deal with it after the fight kind of shit. Yeah, and that, I, I'm glad I'm glad he called him out because you know what? If that doesn't tell you something that he's got enough morals yeah. to say that. Uh, that's, yeah, that's another reason why I'm inclined to believe him. Like I said, he's one of the few people who's willing to put himself on the sidelines and not take every fight they're willing to throw at you. Which is why there was a three-year hiatus after that Connor fight. Exactly. He's because, not going to rush in just because they've got another contract ready for him to sign. Yeah. Oh, he wanted fights that made sense to him. And that's all he's had so far. Yeah. And this is by far, if they don't figure this out by next week, this is going to be the worst lost fucking payday this, of UFC history. Yeah, no. Gear and fucking teeth. Because I... I'm I'm saying it right now. If this fight proceeds, guarantee it will break every fucking box office, MSG, every fucking ticket yeah. sale that they have ever fucking had. It'll break more pay-per-views because this is a fight the fans want. We finally got something the fans want. Yeah, we asked for this and got it. Yeah, and it's something we're not going to see. It's like um, we were talking last week about um, Connor and... Edgar calling each other out. Dana White put a kaput to that, and that's something the fans wanted to see. Why is it that when there's something we do want to see, shit decides it starts to fall through? It's like you go back to, um, let's say, all the way back to the first couple times they tried to get Khabib and fucking Tony Ferguson to fight. Those kept falling through. They were fan things the fans wanted to see. At this point, it's kind of a meh point, but this is by far the biggest fan-driven fight in UFC history. Look, UFC is trying to spin it as, oh, this was all their idea. They thought it sounded great when fucking Nate called out Jorge in the middle of the octagon after his win. No. After he beat Pettis in dominant fashion, he made the call out, oh, yeah, that's what I'd like to fight because I know he's a gangster, I'm a gangster, let's fucking do this. The two realest motherfuckers there are. And they they brought up the idea of the baddest motherfucker belt themselves. This was not a UFC-driven thing. This was them. And then the fans got behind this so heavily, they had no option but to do it. 
uh, no, it's going to fall through because somebody is telling him to do something that he's not comfortable with from a moral standpoint, knowing that he didn't cheat. I'm calling bullshit. Now, if for some odd reason, I have to eat my own words on this and all of this backing him up, I'm going to be really pissed. Because <laughs> I, I mean, I'm going to be super fucking furious. Like that whole follow button on Nate Diaz, unfollow, fuck you, unsubscribe, right. all of that. Because I have so much respect for him as a fighter and the way that he holds himself. Not just, don't get me wrong, I love the way he talks shit and goes in there and slaps the piss out of people, literally slaps them while they're fighting. I love all of that, but um, if it comes back to where it really wasn't a tainted supplement or something like that, I'm going to be fucking ferociously pissed off. I agree. Or even a false positive. Like, they better be, that B sample better be fucking tested right now to make sure and have been done tested because at this point, they better have a fucking rush on it. That's all I got to say. Look. Yeah, they, they can't afford to have fucked this up in any sense of the word. No, they really can't. And if it comes back where he's fucking lying to us, that's when I'm going to be furious. But I he'll, really, he'll be really done. doubt it. If, if it turns out that he lied, this would be the end of Nick Diaz. This would be the end of the Diaz brothers. Because realistically, as much as it doesn't get talked about a whole lot, and I don't like to bring it up a lot just because it hasn't been fully vetted out and fully worked out yet. But realistically speaking, ever since Nick Diaz got arrested last summer for felonious assault from choking out a woman and the officers sent to bring him in because of it, the Diaz brothers have really been on a low-key hiat- or hiatus, really. They're, they're not really doing a lot of press. They're not doing a lot of publicity. And realistically speaking, Nate doing what he's done in the UFC over the last couple of months has really started to try to work against that. But if it turns out now that Nate's been a fucking cheater this whole time, the Diaz brothers as a whole are done. Their legacy is fucking wiped clear of the map. The asterisks cannot be removed. This would be the nail in the coffin. But if it turns out like we think, that Nate is 100% honest here, and this is some bullshit. This could go the complete opposite way. This could be the redeeming factor to bring the, the Diaz brothers back out of the, the shadows, so to speak. Um, I, you know, at this point, if that happens, I really don't know if it's going to help them at all, bring them out of shadows. It might push them deeper because they're going to be pissed about it. And yeah. they are not, look, they're not ones to let go of things. When somebody fucks them over, you know it. When they when they don't things don't go the way they're supposed to and smoothly when they've done all the right things, guess what? They sit out on the sidelines for three fucking years. They don't give a fuck. They already have a successful business. They have a successful gym. Look, those guys are set for the rest of their fucking lives at this point. He's doing this for the love of the game. And he likes to fight and he wants to see who the baddest motherfucker really is. And look. My hat's off to Jorge Masvidal as well. That dude knows. He knows another fucking bad... He knows another fucking gangster when he sees one. They've... Look, that's that game recognizes game thing right there. To say, yep, I know you're not a cheater. I'll see you next Sunday or next yep. Saturday. 
about the realest thing you could say to somebody, and I fucking love it. I'm really hoping they get that shit straightened out. Hopefully, we'll find out within like the next 72 hours. Because if, if if we don't find out by Sunday, guaranteed that fucking card is a wash. Like it's not even worth ordering. So, but we'll find out here next week. When they come back next week, you know? Yeah. No shit. Well, and as we uh, wrap up our our news and recent events segment here. Um, I am also currently working on, for anyone who's actually watching this replay or live, either way, I'm currently working on getting a channel set up on Mixer to uh, eventually, hopefully, fingers crossed, be able to dual stream this to Mixer and to YouTube, because I think Mixer is going to be a little bit more live friendly than uh, YouTube seems to be. Um, I'm also in the process of working on what is most likely going to be a Sunday afternoon show, at least for right now, where we will go through and do specifically the recaps of the event from that particular Saturday, uh, both to try and help cut down a little time from these shows and to just give a little more content out there in general. So keep your eyes peeled for that. I will have links in the description when we get that up and running. It's not quite there yet. Just be patient. We're working on shit. You're still muted. Fucking mute button, motherfucker. <laughs> right, there was one other piece of news I had forgotten to mention earlier. Um, middle of the road fighters. Decent, pretty to look at. Um, Paige Van Zant is apparently ready to fight again, saying she feels healthy. Tagged a whole bunch of fighters. A fuck ton. Everybody from Andrea KGB Lee to fucking... Um, Fucking Cole, uh, fucking um, what's her goddamn name? No, there's Carolina. a bunch of them. Car- Carolina, I was in there. There's a mess of them, and there's quite a few that I've seen that have posted responses. Yeah, why not? So, I'm feeling we're gonna see Paige Van Zant back in the game here pretty soon again. Although, be it middle of the road fighter that she has been because of the injuries, she had mm-hmm. she had promise at one point. I'll give her that. But here comes the. <gasps> Yep, she's going to fucking break a leg or something this next time, not just an arm or a hand, because right. she's been fucking injury prone. Hopefully her shit's all together now, and I really wish her the best on all that, but I don't Absolutely. have too high hopes, but, but just yeah, as we'll an FYI, probably we'll, we'll see, see it sometimes next year. That's what I was going to see. We'll see. We'll probably see in the next couple weeks, maybe the next month, the announcement that she's going to be fighting early 2020, I bet. Right. They're going to start building the next year's cards with one of her fights, I bet. Maybe it'll be that supposed January 18th that it released about Conor McGregor. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot of potential for a January 18th card is, is all I'm going to say it looks like right now because as, as we say, there's a lot of speculation, but some of that speculation might have some legs to it. So there might be a January 18th card in the process of being built as we speak. And, you know, the one thing we failed to mention with this atheist thing if they try to keep the card alive, who do they bring in to fight Jorge? Well, and that's that's one of the interesting things that realistically is going to determine how the card goes this weekend, in my opinion. Because I did not see that Nate had officially pulled himself out. I was reading some MMA journalism just before the show and had seen Connor had made a statement talking about his what did he call it? His scorecard for 2020, I believe is how he phrased it. 
And what he said was he wanted to open his scorecard for 2020 by making sure that everyone knew that he was eligible to fill in for next weekend's BMF title. And then he wanted to open 2020 on that January 18th card with a fight against either Gaethje or Cowboy Cerrone, either one. I didn't realize he had mentioned that because Nate had already mentioned that he was pulling himself out of the fight for next weekend. So it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the, this year and the beginning of next year shakes out because we're at a point where we're running out of planning time to start putting ink to paper here. So shit's going to have to get shuffled here pretty fucking quick. We're almost to November and we've only got one more or excuse me, two more big UFC events of the year. So, you know, it's about time to shit or get off the pot here. We'll see which comes down the pipeline. So to speak. I'm, I'm just going to say this. I can lay 10 to 1 odds. We're not going to see fucking Connor next weekend. <laughs> I'm, yeah. As much as I still love Connor for all his fuck ups, I don't see virtually any scenario where we will see Connor stepping in for that BMF title next weekend. I, I just don't see any rhyme or reason to it. I mean, unless they're trying to pull money back into the card, because that's the only way they could feasibly do it at this point, if that, if that ends up going there out. But we'll see. It'll be interesting. We'll see what happens next week. Uh, and actually, we'll probably see what happens in the next 72 hours, I guess. Right. I think the only way Connor replacing Nate in that fight would work is if they played it all the way up until next Saturday night, up till the moment where they roll that footage and then they darken the arena for the walkout and then wwe style fireworks green lights everywhere and connor comes walking out the tunnel instead that (laughs) that i think would work as a replacement but you have to completely fucking sell it connor has to still be talking shit on twitter all fucking week like he usually does nate has to say you know what everything's been settled we're good they said i'm clean i'm fighting this weekend they have to sell it and then wwe style walkout connor in his place and the green lights, and it, I think that would work. Otherwise, no, it's it's a dumb idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, I mean, are they going to have it? Does this mean they'll have an interim BNF title? That, that's what I'm saying. Like, if we're going to lean into this, we got to lean all the fucking way. Like, we got to go full WWE with it. Like, we got to play it up if we're going to. Otherwise, fucking scratch it, and let's just admit a fuck up with a fuck up. <laughs> oh, but that will wrap up our news and recent events segment of the show and bring us into the meat and potatoes as it were of this particular episode the reason we are here this fine evening to talk about this weekend's upcoming ufc fight night singapore maya versus Askren. now for those of you who were not aware this card is in singapore the times you see posted are not U.S. times on the posters because the posters are still showing the Singapore times. This card prelims kick off at, what is it, 2 a.m., I believe? 4 a.m. Central time. Yeah, 4 a.m. Central time, 2 a.m. Pacific, Saturday morning. It's a Saturday card again, but it's early early Saturday morning. So, that being said, 
see if we can do a thing with a thing here. We'll try really hard not to mess this up. <laughs> and I might have to. Mm, maybe, maybe not. I said might. Uh, no, it's so dark. You need to lighten that up. Oh, 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 there we go. It's lighting up. We're good. You like the white? See, I'm telling you, every once in a while. We're almost there. We're trying to get this shit high tech, goddammit. No, if only way you could get that to work a little faster next time. <laughs> hey, it's, 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 it's a work in progress, all right? We're getting fancy. We got high tech swipes and shit. We're getting there. Baby steps, baby steps. Next week, it's going to be a fade. Yeah, hey, hey, I'm not, I'm not giving any hints away. You never know what it's going to be. But that'll start us off for the tippy top here, the prelim card for this weekend's upcoming fights. So I want to start right down at the very bottom of the pile here, which will be the opening of the card. The first one I want to take a quick mention about here is one Mr. Jeff Hughes, who I think has a very interesting, interesting style and does have some uh, potential, I should say, up against a virtually unknown Rafael Pessoa. Now, Pessoa is just too new to really have any information about, so I can't really make a prediction here. I really just wanted to take a moment to mention this fight because I think Jeff Hughes has a lot of potential in the heavyweight division here. The heavyweight division, for the most part, has been pretty stagnant with the exception of the same basic core group of eight or ten-ish guys. So Jeff Hughes is one of those guys that I'm interested to keep an eye on because he's young blood coming into the division. Here. Uh, next one after that, we are going to be skipping the uh, next fight here because I couldn't find anything on either one of these ladies. Wish you the best of luck. Don't know who the fuck either of you are. Uh, moving along to the next fight after that, right along the middle here, one Maurice Green coming against one Sergei Pavlovich. Now, Maurice Green is one of my dark horse favorites in the UFC's heavyweight division, New Blood, as it were. Um, he looked spectacular for the most part on his Ultimate Fighter season. He has looked spectacular since then. He's on a three-fight run right now. But none of them have really been big spotlight events. None of them have been real main card fights, big publicity, you know, eye-catching rounds. So I definitely want to encourage people to keep an eye on this, this one as well because this is a pair of up-and-coming heavyweights that both have a lot of potential behind them here. So from there, we are going to skip the next pair of who the fuck are they kind of fighters uh, with the exception of Enrique Barzola, this gentleman right here does have a little bit of interest could be an interesting fight but for the most part not a lot of interest in either one of these two so we will skip up to the tippity top there the premier prelim fight as it were and interestingly enough two weeks in a row we get a red-haired woman fighting an overhyped name this week's event is one Randa Marcos versus Ashley Yoder. 
Ashley Yoder is very much a blonder version of Macy Barber. Their styles are almost the same. Their stats are almost the same. They are virtually identical fighters, save for the hair color and a little bit of height. Um, and then we've got on the other side here, another middle of the road fighter. This time, instead of Jillian Robertson, we have Randa Marcos, who is notorious for being one of the flip-floppiest, least consistent fighters in the ladies' side of UFC. One week she comes out and she's a fucking firecracker, and the next week she comes out and she is a dead fish who gets ragdolled across the fucking octagon for the duration of the fight. So this one isn't so much for me a highlight-worthy fight as a chance to make a point to call out the UFC for taking meh fights and making premier situations out of them. That theme will come back again here in just a little bit. Yeah, like probably once every week for the foreseeable future. <laughs> yeah. But with with that being blipped out here, let me see if this is going to work for us. Oh, boy. We're trying live technology here. Shit is getting dangerous around here. Watch out. See if it blinks. Blink. There we go. Okay. So that will bring us into the meat and potatoes of the meat and potatoes segment of the show here, the main card itself. Now, luckily, this week we have a fairly trimmed down main card we don't have as many fights on the main card as we have the last couple weeks where you see they are just cramming that fluff in because we're coming close to the end of the year and all these fighters who have to get their contracted fights in throughout the year are just getting slammed anywhere they can on all these fucking fight nights and UFC on ESPN pluses and whatever the fuck they're calling all these ridiculous sub side card fight shits we're getting crammed in between pay-per-view events now this one at least they were nice enough to only give us a couple here that doesn't mean we're fluff-free, but they only gave us a couple. So, with this one, we will start at the bottom, which is actually at the top of the card, with one Muslim Salikov versus Lariano Staropoli. Staropoli, however you choose to say it. This is the first fight on this card that I feel legitimately deserves full focus attention here. Both of these gentlemen are very up-and-coming prospects. They both have very unique and unorthodox style. They both have great movement. They're both known for their forward pressure, but not so much for their defense on either side. So this is going to be one of those where we've got right out of the gate for the fucking main card opening up two gentlemen who are just going to get in there and go at it. And I predict fireworks from both of these gentlemen here. I think... In this particular situation, the difference for me is going to be, I believe that Muslim has a little bit cleaner striking and a little bit faster striking. Staropoli, Staropoli, however you want to say his name, Loriano, is a great striker, but he tends to counter more than he does go in and go for the first shot. He almost waits for that shot to go in and try and work off of your timing. And if you watch the highlight reels from... Uh, one Mr. Salikov, that doesn't tend to be a great idea because you generally don't get a lot of chances to counter with him 
when he comes in, he comes in with punches and bunches. He's known for moving forward combos that almost Robert Whitaker-esque charging one, two, three. And it works for him. It works for him real good. He lands it more often than he doesn't. And he's got a damn good record to show for it. So I think Staropoli, Staropoli, however the fuck you want to pronounce the name, he's got some prospect as well. I think both of these gentlemen both have potential, but I think Mr. Solikov is the one that's going to take this particular matchup this weekend. I'm very inclined to agree with you on this one here. The only thing I'd like to add, Muslim Solikov also has some fucking feet on him too. Yes, yes, he does. And as they a man with large the- feet, I can respect that. <laughs> you don't. They don't call him the king of kung fu for no reason. Yes, uh, the dude literally has some outstanding striking. Um, Loriano, you said it best. He's literally the epitome of a very good counter striker at his level right now. But um, it's it's we're definitely going to see fireworks. I think what's going to happen is we're going to see can Sarapoli actually get off a counter or not? If he can't. Right. Because of the um, sheer volume that Muslim tends to throw, it could be a really bad night for Staropoli. However, if he gets one off, he does have a tendency to connect pretty hard with people when he's um, countering. Because they're not—it's not the light counters. It's they're usually pretty heavy fucking bombs that are coming. So it might be enough to gain his respect, and then that could change the basis of the fight. I mean. Just like the old saying goes, everybody has a fucking game plan until they get punched in the mouth. That's right. That's and, right. And if you get punched hard enough, eh, you gain some respect, and it makes you a lot more tentative to throw to get in there because then you know you're in that phone booth area where you can get in too. Right. Well, and that's the thing going against a guy like Muslim. He's known for those charging shots or those leaping shots where he almost pushes you backwards even if the shots don't land. His full body and momentum, his weight is moving forward at you you almost instinctively have to back up. So he offsets your rhythm and your movement pattern right away when he throws a lot of the way that he throws. So can Staropoli or Loriano figure out the step off? Can he get the timing to work around it? Or is he going to get clipped by one of those leaping charges? It's going to be great to watch. For me, the best part of this fight for me is that both of these guys are finishers. Neither one of them go to decisions very often, which that tells me they're going to go to war. And for the best part for them, because they're both up-and-comers, if they're that first really good fight when you hit that main card to where you have that chance to shot and everybody's in their seats, they're watching, you're going to be in a fucking fantastic way. And not to mention, you're going in – you guys, they're fighting in fucking Singapore. So these guys there – in Asia, they're all fight fans. I mean, you got kickboxing, boxing, and all of that. Muay they're Thai. all Muay Thai. They're that's all Muay Thai Central. Yeah, yeah. They're all very educated when it comes to fighting. So it'll be very interesting to get them that chance to shine and have a large crowd. He's going to be very respectful because they're educated. Which hopefully, uh, I mean. Just don't pull any fucking Mexico well, shit. I was going to say, as long as we don't get another fucking Mexico, I think we'll be okay. Yeah, and right. I, I tell you what, despite Stevens himself coming out and saying he understands it, he's not mad at any of the Mexico fans. If he'd have paid for that fight and seen that shit, he'd have thrown beer too. I get it. 
great fucking PR for Stevens handling it like a champ. But as a fellow fan, fuck anyone who was in that Mexico stadium and threw shit at that fucking octagon. Yep. Well, I take it. Wait, wait. I take that back. I apologize. Fuck anyone who was in that stadium and threw shit at that octagon at Jeremy Stevens. After the way that Yair reacted, any of those fans who wanted to chuck a cerveza at his fucking cabeza, you're okay with me. You're good. Look at you working on your rhymes. Sometimes it happens. You know, works out all right. (laughs) (laughs) Back to this fight, though, I'm definitely inclined to believe that this is going to be Muslim all night, purely because he's going to get off first and he comes in bunches. It's not like he's a single punch thrower. Yeah. He's a combination guy, and I think it's going to cause problems for Mr. Poli. I agree. But either way, it's going to be great to fucking watch, and I'm glad they're using a, a legitimately firework potentially packed fight to open a card because a, a couple of the fights that we've had open in recent cards have been pretty fucking yeah. lackluster even you know amongst the fights that they've been around they've been okay but as a whole for the overall of the card they've been pretty fucking lackluster and i think that this one is going to give us a little bit of fucking pow right out of the gate i appreciate that now my problem is that they give us a good fight like Salikov versus Staropoli, and then they give us a literal pair of nobodies. Now, to be fair, to their credit, these are both new heavyweight nobodies. So like I was saying earlier, they are starting to pump in some new blood to the heavyweight division. They're starting to bring guys in, even if they've got to bring in some fucking soup cans, they're still bringing in soup cans and they're letting them sharpen their edges against each other. They're not feeding them to the fucking wolves right out of the gate, which is why I'm interested in this fight as well as both of the other fights. There just isn't enough to really talk about any of the three of them other than to say I'm excited to see they're bringing in six more heavyweights that are worth that. Well, I don't know what they're worth yet, I should say, but they're bringing in six heavyweights confirmed into a division that's been fairly stagnant. So props to both of these gentlemen. I hope they put on a great fight. I'm not going to talk about it. We're bumping up. To the next one here. Frank Camacho versus Beniel Dariush. This is going to be an interesting, interesting fight. Personally, I think this would make a much better co-main event than the co-main event we're actually going to talk about in a little while. But I also think that the the Salikov versus Staropoli fight would have made a much better fight than that co-main event. We'll talk about <laughs> That in a minute here, too. But talking about Camacho versus Darius here, these are two of the – realistically, they're two dark horses in the lightweight division. They're very much often overlooked. Darius is another one of those Nate Diaz-esque fighters that he's willing to sit himself on the sideline because he's not going to be a Cowboy Cerrone in this division. He's not going to take every fight you offer to him, and he makes a point to talk about that. He would much rather stay back at his gym and he would much rather teach and he'd much rather live his life and wait for a good fight than to take everything that Dana and Mick Maynard offered him. This is one of those fights that he felt compelled to take. And the same goes for Camacho. You don't see Camacho's name every three months. He's not out there rushing to get a bunch of fights under his fucking belt because both of these guys understand their own value and they're not willing to rush their career for a paycheck. I appreciate that almost more than anything. They understand their own worth and are willing 
to negotiate with that, even if it means taking a little time. Because neither one of these guys' names, like I said, get seen every three or four months. These guys aren't every couple card fighters. But when you see either one of these names, you know it's going to be a good one. Now, we have an opportunity where we get to see two very well-rounded fighters, two accurate strikers, two precise grapplers. Interesting phrase, isn't it? Two precise grapplers, two guys that when they grab your single leg, you don't worry about what are they shooting that single leg for. You worry about how close am I to the fence and how easy can I stop this because this is going to be a fucking problem if he's got me in the middle of the ring and he can get a fucking rake underneath me and drag me out. Both of these gentlemen have great full toolboxes and this is going to be an absolutely interesting fight in my opinion. The thing is going to be who can impose their game plan because both of these gentlemen are both, again, fairly equally in terms of style, fairly equal in terms of size, fairly equal in terms of their, their numbers all the way across the board. So it's going to be whose game plan can counter whose and who can impose their game plan first. I like Camacho, but I am a huge fan of Benyeli Dariush. And I have to believe that in this situation, given a man that I think is going to be a very close equal to him, I think it's going to be a great match. But I think Dariush is going to come out on top in the end. I think this might go to a decision, though, because this is two very equally matched guys. So there's a potential that this might not get stopped. This might go all the way. But I think Dariush comes out on top. Yeah, this is definitely going to be uh, a close one or a very tight fucking fight. I this very well could go to decision. I don't know that it will because both of these guys do have fucking stopping potential, which for me that's always makes for a fantastic fight. Guys that are looking for a finish because they're constantly looking for both of them. Yeah. However, with how equally matched they are and where they're at, this fight makes sense for both of these fighters. Between Camacho and Dariush, it, it's going to be interesting to see who is able to impose their will more. And I say more because I don't think that one of them is going to get a decisive edge in this. No, I have neither. a really strong feeling that this is going to end up in the hands of the judges. Hopefully, hopefully these are not Boston judges that were flown in from Boston because we might end up with some really bad shit if that happens. But right. um, Dariush, he's shown a lot of promise, and I, I love that. So is Frank Camacho. Both of these guys, they're doing the right thing, holding out fights that make sense to further their career, not just to gain a paycheck because the UFC wants to fill a spot on the card. No, this is me being a little biased because. I'm a bigger fan of Camacho than I am of Dariush. Understandable. I really think Camacho is going to end up taking this, but I don't think he's going to finish Dariush because Dariush is a very solid opponent for him. And they, in my opinion, stylistically, they match up fantastically. I think it's going to end up going to decision. And I think it's going to be a really close decision at that. We could possibly be looking at a split decision. But I'm going to have to call Camacho on this one just because. That's the fan in me talking, not the breakdown analyst <laughs> on this one. Only because I don't know how to call it otherwise. <laughs> I know. I, I completely understand. That's why I said this is one of those situations where realistically, 
I, I'm only pulling for uh, Benelli because I'm a bigger fan of him. But I, like I said, I am equally a fan of Camacho as well. These two are a hell of a pair to match up. And the fact that they are both willing to sit on the sidelines until a good fight comes along and both of them agreed to this fight shows me that they're both taking this very seriously. And it has potential to go either way and be exciting all the way through. So I completely understand and realistically would not be surprised if it went to Camacho either. But I, I agree with you. I don't think this is going to get finished. I think this is too damn close. Be interesting. Uh, I'm ready to see that one. It's going to be a good one. I am as well. Now, with that being said, that's going to bring us to the portion of the show where us hardcore MMA fanatics like to take just a little step back. We've been inundating you with what we think and how we feel about this. And this is the point where we take a moment and we we sit back a little bit and we relax and we, we bring in someone not as hardcore, not as uh, obsessive about it like, like uh, TJ and I are. We bring in someone a little bit more casual. We bring in the casual corner with one Miss Lumi Streams. Hello, Miss Lumi Streams. She's here. You just can't see her yet. You just can't see her yet. Oh, wait, okay. Apparently she fucked it all up, but she's oh, here. Oh, yep. We're getting it. We're getting it. We're getting it. We need to hire Technical somebody Technical difficulties from start to finish. Shut up! Kind of my motto. Anywho, I don't know what you mean about not so hardcore. I'm pretty hardcore about getting my super necessary shirt. This is true. I I will say that we have now both commented multiple times on uh, one Game Bread Fighter's Instagram account and have had those comments liked by said Instagram Mr. Jorge Masvidal himself's account. So uh, he is aware of the Tickle Fight campaign. I have been contributing as well. If you, as the viewer, should feel so inclined, please go on to any of Jorge Masvidal's posts and inform him that he has officially been challenged to a tickle fight for a super necessary shirt by our very own casual corner herself, Miss Lumi Street. Well, no, it's for it's more of the opportunity to buy one. I'm not here for team free shit. I just want the opportunity to buy your damn to, shirt again. To, to get them put back into production. There. Yes. I just, it, it came by too fast. I just saved up for it and then it's gone. Yep. Too fast. Too fast. I want my shirt. Anywho, honestly... Bitching about not having that shirt's more entertaining than these fights because honestly, there's only a few people that I freak out about seeing on the UFC. George Masvidal is one of them because I was fortunate enough that my first fight I get to witness of this guy, to see this little itty bitty guy just walking out with some swag, with his arms behind his back, and then just fucking knees a bitch in the face, just so happens to be on the main card tonight. Um. Yeah, if it's not fights like that, I don't, I don't give a shit. <laughs> give a shit. That's um, casual. You're casual. Anywho, Michael versus Stevie. Yep. <laughs> I need to have some words about one of these things that I found. Okay, nope, that's the wrong person. Okay, so Michael and Stevie. I was really uninterested as I was trying to do my homework on these guys. I was watching interviews. They're both pretty down to earth. So there was no douchebag for me to be like, nah, I don't like him. So really. That, that kind of sucked. I was hoping it could go one way or the other. And honestly, decisions 
Michael, this is this is where I go next because I want to know if the fight's going to be interesting. Michael has fifty percent decisions. Stevie has thirty-six percent decisions. Painful, painful. Yep. Really painful. Only twenty-seven percent TKO KO for Stevie. At least Michael has forty. Um, submission. Maybe has 36, so that's a plus. We could possibly watch a bitch get choked out. Maybe. Cross fingers. There's a possibility. There's a possibility, yep. Um, like the way Stevie talks. Scottish. I couldn't understand half the things he was saying in the interviews, but it was fun. <laughs> yeah. Um. Ooh! Ooh! Something that Michael said. I found this, this was my spirit animal that that touched my inner spirit animal of touching things and poking stuff. He said somebody's going to get touched and hit. I like touching and hitting things. And I found that relatable. So I guess I was going for Michael, but I don't know. I'll go for Stevie if he chokes a bitch out. <laughs> and then main card. How the fuck did he... How, how did Ben Askren make it to the main card after just... So... Recently, getting kneed in the face. Luck. And then Pure he comes out and luck. says he doesn't have to worry about getting a knee in the face because Damien can't get that high. I really hope you fucking get choked. Because I did some research on Damien. I had some issues with this little quote that the UFC did. My favorite technique is to submit my opponent without hurting me or hurting him. I'll watch you beat up Ben Askren. He fucking deserves it. He is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I think. Did I read that right? Yep. yep. That's like that's like the more tactical version of leg humping, isn't it? Not really. Leg humping is like an attackless version. Of jujitsu, jujitsu is what leg humpers aspire to get to. Most leg humpers are leg humpers because they're not jujitsu guys. Because a jujitsu guy may start with a leg humpy technique, but he's going to choke you the fuck out or break your arm. That's or why leg I said tactical. Because when you're going yeah. against a jujitsu person and you're just a plain old Jane leg humper, yes. you got to watch out for those sneaky little fucking arms coming in for a choke. Yes, or correct. You're gonna think you got into a position, then all of a sudden there's gonna be a leg where you don't expect it to be, and you're gonna be back on your stomach. Exactly. So, I know Damien really doesn't want to hurt his opponent, but I'm hoping he'll hurt Ben Askren, and I hope that's how it happens. Because I have a feeling Ben Askren's gonna try to hump him a lot. So, yes. if it gets to this point, unfortunately, it won't be another 10 second minus 10 second knockout. <laughs> but hopefully, we'll watch. Ben Askren pump a little bit and then get demolished. That's all. I think you are are probably pretty close in uh, in your your predictions this evening here. I think you made some pretty good casual calls this weekend. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thank you for being here. So, with our casual corner over here. 
that will bring us to the potatoes of the meat and potatoes in the meat and potatoes segment in the meat and potatoes portion of the show here. Got a little tater for you. Let me fix my, my flip here real quick. There we go. Had to get my, my flick back. So now that we've got the uh, Johnson versus Ray stats back up here, um, ironically, I, I believe our casual had a hell of an accurate rundown for this week's both co and main event, really. Um, starting out with the co-main event here. To his credit, Michael Johnson is not terrible. The problem is he's really not that good either. I don't dislike him at, and at all for any reason. He's really just a middle of the road or middle of the pack rather uh, type of fighter. He's, he's clearly not top five material, but he's clearly not unranked soup can either. He's somewhere in that mid range. I think he would accurately be uh, a 10 to eight kind of ranked guy in the division here. Um, The problem is the same can be said for Stevie Ray. He's not, really terrible and I have nothing against him either he's just really not that great neither one of them are legitimately that impressive to quote a bald cocksucker they're not needle movers I mean neither one of them are terrible fighters neither one of them have bad styles neither one of them are unimpressive on the microphone the bro got the ladies going so there's that but neither one of them are really that exciting and this matchup itself isn't really that exciting. So I'm just struggling a little bit. This is kind of what I was uh, hinting towards earlier. I'm just kind of wondering what the fuck did these two do to deserve the co-main event here? Because it's not like this, this card itself has a ton of really exciting fights on it, but this would have been a perfect place. Like I said earlier for that Salikov versus Staropoli fight. This would even have potentially been a good fight or a good place to see random Marcos versus uh, Blondie Yoder fighting because that's got more potential, in my opinion, stylistically, just matchup-wise, than two guys who are both middle of the road with questionable chin and kind of meh striking. Um, Do I think it's going to be exciting? No. Do I think it's going to end before the judges get there? No, but I don't think it's going to be a full Lewis versus Nganu situation either. I don't think we're going to see two dudes dance around and do this number for 15 minutes. But I don't think this is going to be the barn burner that I think the UFC hoped it was going to be either. Um, I think at the end of the day, Johnson does have a little bit better striking than Ray does. I think Ray is going to be a little more inclined to go grappling, but we've seen that Johnson is legitimately a wrestler, granted not against a guy like Khabib, but that's a different fucking story for a different rant session. But Johnson is a fairly legitimately, you know, decent wrestler. So I I feel like Stevie Ray's going to come in and he's going to try and take this to the ground, but I don't think it's going to go the way he expects it to with Johnson. And I think Johnson's got just enough of an edge in the striking department. I think that little hair in his favor is going to be enough to help him out. I think this is going to be a Johnson victory, but I don't think it's going to be terribly exciting. 
I'm inclined to agree with you on this one. Um, look, Anthony Johnson's been around for quite some time. Uh, or excuse me, Michael Johnson. I'm fucking. I'm I say still, you got you got your Johnson I'm, mixed up there. I'm still thinking about Anthony Rumble Johnson <laughs> here because I'm excited to see his new. I, I was gonna say class. I understand Rumble's coming back at heavyweight and that's fucking exciting. I I get it. You're good. Yeah, I, I'm <laughs> fucking getting getting the the cart before the horse here, as it were. Um, but no, um, Michael Johnson. He has been. He's a legitimate fucking long-running staple in the UFC at this point. Uh, the problem with that is he's been hot and cold his entire time here. Don't get me wrong. There was a spot, there was a, there was a stint in there where it looked like he had legitimate title contention, title challenging, possibly winning the title at one point. Since that, he's taken this, like, Steep nosedive with a little plateau, steep nosedive, little plateau. And now he's just kind of doing the fucking wave here because he can't seem to get anything rolling. And being as he's starting to get a little bit later into his career, I won't quite say the back nine yet. I think this fight for him is got to be that he needs a turning point. I mean, he's coming off a loss. He needs to have this turning point where what do I do to um, get myself back together? I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, his last win was against the GOAT, but the GOAT was obviously not an MMA fighter. He's a bare-knuckle fighter. We all know that because we've seen it. We were talking about it earlier. Go back and watch it. Fucking war, and it's going to happen again here in about a month. It's going to be fucking fantastic. Fuck yeah. But um, he lost the fucking Emmett his last fight. And I'm not calling Emmett out by any means as being a scrub because he's not. But Josh Emmett just, he's not the kind of person that you go, oh, yeah, you're going to definitively lose to that motherfucker. And he definitively lost. Um, and Stevie Ray, on the other hand, look, he's also one of those fighters been around for a while and he's also been on that um the kitty roller coaster as i'll call it because it's been up and down for both of these guys they both need something to either light the fire under their ass or they're going to be the perennial middle of the road gatekeepers because at this point they both got some mile road mileage on the both of them i mean they're both over 30 fights into their careers. And when you get into that territory, you have to be, you have to make, you have to make that step. Either you're going to stay mediocrity at best, or you're going to move forward. To be quite honest, I don't think this fight is going to help either one of them in any way, shape or form, win, lose or draw. Um, it might give one of them a fire to kind of get a little um, fucking tailwind to push them forward a little bit, but both of them really need a win here. Um, and to be honest, I just don't see fireworks out of this fight. Michael Johnson's never been one to be known as a fireworks fighter. He's he's always been solid. Like, I, like you put him in a fight, he's going to put up a good fight. He he's never. I have yet to see him in a bad fight. 
I've seen where he's gotten his ass whipped bad, but he's never been in a bad fight where he just looked like he wasn't ready to fight. He's always comes ready. You can say the same thing for Stevie Ray over here. Both of these guys, they don't, neither one of them has the, neither one of them has the money symbols lined behind their name. They need to get on a roll here, and hopefully this can kickstart one or the other. To be honest, I really don't give a fuck who wins this fight. If I'm being quite honest as a fan here, um, it, this doesn't make or break me one way or another. To be honest, I think this would have been much better as a feature prelim fight than the co-main event. But, you know, I don't make the fucking rules. I just have to live by them because at this point, I just get to be the armchair quarterback. If I'm if I'm There's gonna worse call, things to me. if I'm gonna call it one way or another, I'm gonna give the benefit of the doubt to Michael Johnson just because he's been a long mainstay in the UFC. He's been here before. He's been in call main event spots. He's been in main event spots when he was on his odd streak. So I, if I'm gonna do go that route, purely on having been here before on multiple occasions, I'll have to give it to Michael Johnson. But that's not to say Stevie Ray can't um, take that same spotlight. But, I mean, it's a fucking horse apiece for me. It's a coin flip. I can understand that. And that's what I said. It's it's not going to be the fireworks that we're going to open the card with, but I don't think it's going to be a complete Ngano versus Lewis situation again either. To be honest, I'd rather see Camacho and Dariush as the fucking co-main event on this. Right. That's what I was saying earlier. Like, it's it's not that there's a lack of great fights that would have been better suited. It's just that the one that they chose – wasn't really the best, in my opinion, for the co-main event slot. So we're just going to have to sit through it and see how it plays. But with that being said, that's going to bring us to the meat and potatoes of the meat and potatoes in this meat and potatoes segment of our meat and potatoes segment, the main event of the evening. I mean... In the morning? <laughs> the morning? The late night however depending where you are gonna be this is to be fair this is one of the last times in 2019 we're gonna have weird hours for a fight they will be back to pro marca for pretty much the rest of the year so fans can calm down about the weird timings uh but the main event for this episode for this weekend's card the reason we're doing this particular show ufc fight night singapore's Headline card, Damian Maya versus Ben Askren. Now, this is one of those situations where what do you really do with either one of these guys? Damian Maya is clearly not at the top of the division anymore, but he's far from a gatekeeper. He's far from suit can status. Ben Askren is not in any way, shape, or form on the springboard platform to the top like he thought he was going to be after one super necessary course correction that he was given. So you can't throw Askren completely to the bottom of the stack, but you clearly can't give him anybody up at the top because he had the questionable fight against Robbie and then, you know, the buffet to the face – that was super necessary, changed that whole 
projection that he had planned. On the other side of the coin, Maya has gotten manhandled pretty hard his last few times out. But to his credit, the UFC, for whatever fucking reason, keeps putting him against aggressive strikers who aren't going to give him a chance to actually implement his fighting style. They've been putting him realistically in bad matchups for him. But much like a cowboy Cerrone, Damian Maya is one of those company men that when you hand him a contract, he's not going to look at what the name is on it. He's not going to look at the date. He's not going to look at where it takes place. He's going to take it and he's going to sign his name on it and he's going to prepare for that fight. And the problem is, is that when you're willing to fight everybody, you don't really generally train against anybody. You train for everybody. And in doing so, Damian Maya has left a lot of holes in his game open that aggressive strikers have been able to expose. And to a certain degree, aggressive grapplers have been able to expose, but to a much smaller degree. But then on the other side of that, you got a, a legitimately good grappler who has had a hole right here exposed to knees and multiple uh, holes in his striking game exposed by several other folks. Robbie Lawler gave him a fucking hard shot, aside from that fucking dog pile slam that he got thrown into. The problem is we haven't seen outside of a flying knee and a questionable stoppage what Ben Askren can do against UFC caliber talent. The good thing for us as fans is that we don't have to worry about Askren getting KO'd with a five-second knee. And we don't have to worry about Damian getting stuffed takedown after stuffed takedown and getting punched in the face in the process because that's not how Askren fights. We've got a situation here, and I think that TJ and I are going to be basically opposite sides of this coin, but we've got a situation here in this fight where we've got a pair of gentlemen who are both more dangerous from the ground than anywhere else in the fight and will use all the other aspects of their fighting style to get it to the ground ultimately. But for different reasons here. Askren, because he wants to get you to a point where he can wear you out, where he can ragdoll you, where he can chain wrestle you into the point of exhaustion and then get the most bare of RNC or, or a choke out or just a simple exhausted grounded pound to a TKO stoppage. And then on the other side of that, you've got Damian Maya who legitimately may be the most dangerous Brazilian jiu-jitsu player in the UFC actively on the roster, but has been known to be punched in the fucking face repeatedly or outgrappled by more aggressive wrestlers than him. This is one of those situations where I feel that it's going to, like I say, every round starts on the feet. But I feel that if we see a full fight here, every round I feel will start on the feet and within 30 seconds or so, be down on the ground. I'm, I'm betting in under a minute, probably every round will be on the ground because of the way that both of these gentlemen want this fight to go. The difference here, I think, that's going to make 
I, I shouldn't say the difference, the factor I feel that's going to make the ultimate difference in this fight overall is going to be Askren is a wrestler who uses wrestling to get to a minimal jujitsu point to end the fight. Whereas Damian Maya is a Brazilian jujitsu practitioner who can use grappling to aid in his submission attempts and has a laundry list of submissions that he is fully capable of from any point in the fight at any angle the two of them may end up at. Whereas Askren, for the prowess he may have in wrestling, does not hold a candle in a midnight pitch black night to Damian Maya's jiu-jitsu level. Askren may be able to out-wrestle Damian Maya Saturday night, but I don't think he will be able to defend all of the interesting openings and opportunities for submission that Maya will be able to recognize because of that superior level of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I don't think this is going to be a quick fight. I do think it's going to be a very exciting fight because I feel like there's going to be a lot of back and forth. I don't see how this fight could be one-sided. I think it's going to be very back and forth because of the grappling prowess of both of these gentlemen. But I feel that at the end of the game, when the cookie's crumbling and it comes down to it, when the brass tacks are out, I think Damian Maya's jiu-jitsu is going to be the determining factor here that's going to give him the ability to win more times and more places then Ben Askren's wrestling will give him the opportunity to present himself with a finish against Maya. I think Damian Maya takes this, but I think we go late in the fight if it gets stopped. It very well could go to a judge's decision because they're so evenly matched in terms of the grappling. But I think Maya's jiu-jitsu background is going to give him enough of an edge. If this one does go to the judges, I think there's going to be enough submission attempts or enough compromising positions that he can get that I think if it goes to judges, Maya takes it. If it doesn't go to judges, I think Maya gets a submission late in the third. There's a lot of that I agree with you on, and there are some things that I don't agree with you on. Um, first and foremost, both of these guys, Damian Maya, I'll say he is by far the best MMA jiu-jitsu practitioner the UFC has ever seen, ever, period. He's that guy. He, look, there's a laundry list of people he's choked on. There's a laundry list of people he's armed The The list goes on and on for him. Just go look at his fucking resume. It's fucking phenomenal. Hey, you're right. He does have a problem with strikers, especially heavy-handed strikers. Um, in this case, he's really lucky right now because Ben Askren is not a fucking striker. Ben Askren will tell you, I am not a striker. I don't like the punch. I like to wrestle. That's what he's really good at. And how uh, on the other side is Ben Askren, world-class fucking wrestler. Probably one of the best wrestlers that UFC you'll ever see. But the caveat to that statement is most of the people he's going to fight, they know that he likes to wrestle and that's what he goes to. That's the problem. However, Ben Askren is also lucky in this sense 
Damian Maya can't punch your fucking knee worth the shit either. Neither one of these guys can strike to save their fucking lives. They couldn't punch themselves out of a wet paper bag. This is going to be the epitome of first. It'll be the first time that we've seen a pure grappling match in UFC, probably since like UFC four or five. In a long fucking time. In a really long fucking time. And it's doubtful we'll see something like this again for a very long time. Unless this is such a razor thin fucking fight that they want to run it back, which I wouldn't have a problem with. I enjoy the grappling aspect of MMA, the jiu-jitsu, the grappling, the wrestling. I enjoy that aspect of it as a fan. Here's where I start to differentiate just a little bit from I'm not going to say a lot because David Maya can get into some very just weird positions and still pull shit off. However, jujitsu. Uh, all right, this is where I'm going to pull a little MMA math. Historically speaking, very good jujitsu practitioners versus very good wrestlers doesn't always send well for the jujitsu practitioner because most wrestling people, they chain wrestle. So they're not constantly staying in one place to give a jiu-jitsu practitioner time to set something up. Ben Askren is that guy who chain wrestles, and he does it phenomenally well. Fuck, I hate to say this because it's going to hurt when it comes out, but the two best chain wrestlers you will ever see in the UFC are Ben Askren and DC. Period. That's just the way they are. They're wired that way. They both grew up wrestling. They've continued wrestling. They've wrestled at collegiate levels and higher. It's that's just the way it is. So this is look. I love jujitsu. I've had a chance to train jujitsu. Had a chance to train with Hoist Gracie before, and it was fucking fantastic. But to see what I think is going to end up happening here. It's, it's going to be a razor-thin fight one way or the other. It's hard for me to call a winner on this. I want to say Maya can get a stoppage, but I don't think he's going to be able to stay in a position long enough to find something unless he sees something that's just on a quick whim, and it's going to have to be fucking quick because Ben is going to want to wear him out. The problem with uh, the wrestlers is that they have always trained to just keep going and keep going. They're the fucking energizer bunnies of fighters because that's what they do in, re- in the wrestling world. You go back and watch collegiate wrestling, they're going from the second that fucking bell goes to the second the bell ends, no matter how long the fucking match is. Every one of them are like that. Even DC's dad bot does the same thing, which is terrible to see, but whatever. I'm not talking about him. I'm past all that. Uh, we don't have to worry about the five-second knockout. We know that. Um, we definitely do not have to worry about anybody getting KO. There, there's no way, shape, or form. I mean, if somebody, if either one of these two throws a pillow at each other and somebody gets knocked out, I'll laugh. I will legitimately laugh if um, one of their pillows hits each other and somebody gets knocked out. Um. I really, I'm, I'm inclined to say that I think Ben is going to win this purely on the fact that with his chain wrestling, he'll be able to mitigate the 
jujitsu, but that's purely on what I've seen in the past when it comes to very high level wrestlers versus very high level jujitsu guys. Now, the hard part for me in saying that is Damian Maya is a different kind of high level jujitsu guy than most high level jujitsu guys that we see in the UFC. He's on a whole different level. That's what he's been known for. He's had sh- shots at the title, and he's just always fallen short because he's ran into that striker or somebody who can out-wrestle him. It, is he going to out-wrestle Ben Askren? Fuck no. Look, I'll say this from previously training Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu does have some takedowns, some. But they are not of the same caliber of takedowns that wrestling is because wrestling is focused on takedowns and writing you out, adjusting positions so you don't get overtaken. It, that's wrestling base as a whole. Go look at fucking any wrestler from the state of fucking Iowa, for Christ's sakes. Um, any, hell, even go watch um, the fucking NCAA championships that just happened two weeks ago. Go find them on YouTube. You'll see what I'm talking about. Those guys, it's a fucking whole different world. It's, this is just going to be a really interesting grappling match, to be honest. This could have been held as a fucking just straight grappling match. Told them no punching, and I would be perfectly fine with that. Because this, it's going to be phenomenal one way or another. I don't think that either one of them is going to get a finish, though. I think this one's going to end up going to decision. What I think is going to happen is it's going to depend on who's on top the longest or who has who's back. Um, I don't foresee anybody finishing either one of them. because Neither one of them are known to give up or gas out in a long, drawn-out fight. But um, I can say I can call this coin flip, but if I'm going to call it, I think the wrestling is going to be the high-level jiu-jitsu just purely on the MMA math alone. Well, I guess if I'm going to call this fight, I'm going to have to say Ben Askren wins it purely on the chain wrestling alone to mitigate the, the jiu-jitsu. But MMA math doesn't always work. So, I mean, it could go either way. To be honest, this is probably one of the most interesting matches of the year for me, purely because, you know what, we don't get this kind of showcase on grappling in MMA, which, to be honest... For a lot of the casual fans, this is going to be a very boring fucking fight for them, I think. Yes, I agree. Uh, and because you're not going to see, oh my God, highlight fucking knockout finish or no. Like, a, oh my God, somebody got choked or oh my God, he got pummeled with pills because they both suck at striking. It, what will really boggle my mind is if this stays on the feet for more than 60 seconds in each round. If they're on their feet for more than a total of five minutes throughout this fight, I will shit a goddamn chicken, a farmer, and a coop to go with it. Because there's no way it stays on the feet. Neither one of them are people who like to be on the feet. Maya's comfortable off his back. He's comfortable pretty much anywhere when it comes to the jiu-jitsu game. And Ben Askren, he's going to go in. He might throw one pillow just to kind of throw him off to shoot the takedown. Or he's going to go in there with his head down. And if Maya is smart, he's probably been training some soft, pillowy knees because we've seen him try to use knees before and they were fucking garbage. But it's just going to be a, a wonderful showcase of grappling, and I can't wait to see it. So I got a question for you that you've asked me in the past. What's that? How'd that feel talking good about DC? 
it fucking hurts. Like <laughs> my tongue feels like it's on fire. Like I'm, I'm ready to just cut that fucker off. You know. I do understand. Uh, no, I, I I agree with most of what you said. Um, I think the main thing realistically that stopped this from being a potential strict grappling match was Ben Askren running his mouth and then Jordan Burroughs shutting it for him. Because those two, the uninitiated probably won't even know, um, just a couple months before the Masvidal fight, um, Ben Askren had, for a long time, been talking shit on social media about basically every other Olympic level USA grappler about he's the best they ever saw. He's, I mean, it's Ben Askren. You heard how he talks, but he did this to fellow wrestlers and U.S. Olympic gold medalist wrestler Jordan Burroughs decided to finally tell him, "Let's just do this straight wrestling only. You know how this works. Exhibition match." And Burroughs got him ten nothing. Oh yeah. In a very dominant 10 nothing. So I think Askren's probably done with the exhibition matches for a little while. Well, and the caveat to that, though, is he doesn't strictly train just wrestling anymore. A lot of his time now is coaching. He coaches kids at a right. national level, which is fucking awesome. And he does phenomenal with the kids. The one other thing I do have to give him a whole fuck ton of credit for, and people who don't like how much he runs his mouth and talks shit, Look, that's part of the fight game. Don't have thin skin, period. But how he came off of the knee knockout and how he's dealt with it has been fucking fantastically amazing. He's like, you know what? I got knocked out. There was a lot of people that have been knocked out before me, and there's going to be a lot that are knocked out after me. Absolutely. It is what it is. What did he do that following weekend? He went to coach his kids' national team at a national wrestling event because that's on his docket. That's his radar. He teaches wrestling. It didn't stop him from just moving forward with his life. He's good. He said, shit happens. I got to take it on the chin. It is what it is. I already took it on the chin. So, so be it. Dude gets a lot of respect for me from that, but dude, set up your fucking takedowns better, please. Especially when you're fighting a striker. Right, I will absolutely give credit where credit is due. He handled getting his ass handed to him like a fucking pro. To his credit, he took it on the fucking chin and he ran with it. He handled it like a fucking grown-ass man should. He got knocked the fuck out and he owned up to it. My only issue is some of the things that he said afterwards where he's tried to twist it into the fact that Jorge is more popular because... He gave him the chance to knee him in the face now and all this kind of silly Ben Askren-y shit. Well, you know, that, that, that's what I say. I will give him credit for handling it because despite having the knee from hell put through his fucking chin, he has come out on the other side of that knockout, still the same Ben Askren he was going in. So I will absolutely give him credit for that. The, the plus side to that is, look, as much as nobody wants to admit it, that highlight real knockout, because Ben Askren was involved, it doesn't matter whose name it was that was there. It could have been fucking Damian Maya there. That adds more statute to fucking Jorge Masvidal. So him saying that, that's just calling a fucking spade a spade at that point. It doesn't matter whose name was there. But right. you know, it, it's funny because he's, he's the guy, he knows how to sell a fight. 
that's what he does. Yep. He's, he he's does. making money by selling the fight. So I can't blame him for doing what he does and being the same person he's been since day one. Why change what's worked? So you fucking took a loss. Shit happens. Move on with your life. Oh, do I think this is going to be the fight that's going to get him a next big shot or Maya a next big shot? Fuck no. Um, it's going to get them moving in the right direction, one of them. But Absolutely. Um, I don't foresee any one of them getting a big shot. The only way that fucking Askren would have stayed on that is if he would have avoided that knee and somehow managed to win that fight. And I say somehow because I really didn't think he was going to, even though no. um, I, I like the guy Beerly because I like the kind of shit he talks. It's fucking funny to me. It really is. But, I mean, I didn't foresee him winning that fight. I knew better. Anybody knew better. So, But this one... This fight in particular, though, it's going to be fucking excellent. And not that it's going to be much of a fight. It's going to be more of a grappling match. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's one of the things that I think is going to make this such an interesting main event. Specifically because, I mean, for the shit show that it was, last weekend was a perfect example of the vast majority of main events that we've had recently have either been the Ioana fucking... Watterson mediocre striking battle, but then we had Reyes Weidman fucking knockout. We've had a lot of big, quick knockout fights or uneventful, boring kind of fights. This is kind of that happy medium somewhere in the middle. This is not going to be a big, quick knockout fight, but this isn't going to be a boring, just watching two people who can't strike try to strike at each other kind of fight that just drags to the end of five long, tedious fucking rounds either. This is going to be five rounds, potentially, of very technical, very tactical, aggressive, but subtle attacking from all sorts of odd and unexpected positions on both parts here because of the wrestling prowess of Askren and because of the jujitsu prowess of Maya. I think, realistically, this is a very good matchup for both of them stylistically, more so than any relevancy to the division itself. I think for me, the best thing about this is this is going to take a lot of casual fans who only watch for the stand-up, and it's going to get them to actually watch it and learn the ground game from both right. aspects it's, it's, of wrestling yeah. and jiu-jitsu. Which, I agree. to be honest, there needs to be more education out there with this because even there's a lot of people who call themselves avid fans who hate the fucking ground game. Look, if you want to watch kickboxing, go watch kickboxing. If you want to watch Muay Thai, watch Muay Thai. If you want to watch boxing, watch boxing. This is mixed martial arts. So that means all of it, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, all of that. Take the time to learn the ground game. This is going to be a prime example of how the ground game can impact a fight in both levels, how takedowns, how fucking jiu-jitsu, how chain wrestling, all of it mixed together. It's going to be a thing of beauty for education for some of these people who have just don't like it, which though the problem lies there. I think a lot of them are going to turn this fight off. I, I agree. I was just which, about to say, I think for me, part a, of it is going to be the people who actually watch. For me, that's a travesty because this is a good learning experience for all of those fight fans. Yep. Even fight fans who say they know groundwork. Even myself, it's going to be a learning experience for myself because both of these guys together, we've never seen anything like this ever. Absolutely. And I think this is, for as much as I 
don't want to fucking give him more credit than he already fucking has. I think realistically, this is a good representation of both sides of this coin as well. Astron, for the wrestling world's sake, is a great representative of that side of the, the aisle. And then Maya, on the other side, you realistically cannot get much better of a fucking representative in the UFC of the jiu-jitsu embodiment that he is. That man lives and breathes jiu-jitsu. So I think as representatives for either side of the argument to be made here, I think we've got a great pair to put together and see how this could potentially turn out. It's definitely going to be interesting. And I really, really hope that people stay tuned in for this because there's so much to be learned here that it's completely worth a watch. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And that, my friend, is going to bring us to the end of what we have for this fine evening here. That wraps up the card. That wraps up the show. That is what we've got for you fine folks this evening here. So with that being said, please do tune in this weekend, either live or the replay. Either one are going to be worth watching. You have got UFC early Saturday. You have got Bellator late Saturday. We have got plenty of MMA going on this weekend to keep your kicky, punchy feelings satiated to the fullest you just got to be a little flexible about your time and, and figure out when you're available because it's there. It's just a matter of, are you going to be available to watch it? So I encourage everyone to tune in now for those fine folks who might have not gotten their full fill of a little smack talk and breakdown here and need a little bit more of a, a hands-on, a customized shit talking, if you will, how would someone be able to go about getting a hold of you to get their ego thoroughly thrashed, TJ? Wednesday nights. I'll thrash your ego. I'll thrash your ego anywhere. Hey, even if it's not about this, if you want to talk football, come on. we got lots to talk about right now. You can find me on the Instagrams. You can find me on the YouTubes Wednesday nights, 9.30. Um, you can find me here every Thursday night. If there's enough people talking, maybe I will gladly come and um, bring myself out here and um, talk some trash to you out in the comments. You know, who knows? I'll do that while I'm doing this. I have no problem. I can manage two at once. But yeah, <laughs> see you guys Wednesday night, my channel, and then next Thursday here to see what goes on. And speaking of which, um, while we were looking over this last fight, I did do a quick look. The fight is technically still on. It has not been canceled yet. Um, Errol Awani just put out another thing here, said we should know here in about the next 10 or 12 hours. So tomorrow morning, we'll know for sure what exactly is going on. So stay tuned. Pay attention. Um, go follow Errol Awani. He's always on point. As much as Dana White doesn't like the man, the dude puts out some just excellent information. And it's always spot on, which is probably why Dana hates it, because he's always fucking right. But, you know, I'll see you all next week for sure, at least twice. <laughs> so thank you again for your time. I do appreciate you being here to throw that opposing opinion at me and give me some ideas that I don't even think about. And speaking of ideas and opinions that you might not have thought about, that's all the show we got for you folks. So if you enjoyed what we're doing here, if you're digging what we're shoveling, if you're picking up what we're putting down, 
maybe give us a thumbs up. Subscribe if it's something you want to follow. If we really tickled your fancy, if we really got you right in the funny bone, give you a little something to think about, made you chuckle a time or two, share an episode with a friend. We're trying to grow this damn thing. Um, keep an eye out. As soon as I get all the proper technicalities fixed and straightened out and at least coherently workable, I am going to be trying to put at least some portion of this show over on Mixer as well. And as soon as I get that going, I will have the link for that in the description down below. So keep an eye out for that. Um, if nothing else, we may just be doing a recap show on the weekends over there. Who knows? But we're expanding. We're growing. We're trying to do the damn thing. We're doing everything we can. We'd appreciate the help, folks. Anything that you can do to help support the show, we appreciate. On the other hand, if you think we're just a couple of dipshits talking nonsense in front of a camera, we don't know what the fuck we're rambling on about, give us a thumbs down. We earned it, and I won't dispute it in the least bit. But that's all we've got for this episode. So remember, folks, don't let ignorance stop you. You can root for anything, even if you're alone in the woods. Have a good night, folks. Oh, come on. You know that was good, good, good. <laughs> Kids these days, I tell you. Everybody was kung fu fighting Those kids were fast as lightning In fact it was a little bit frightening But they fought with expert timing There were funky China men From funky Chinatown they were chopping them up, they were chopping them down. It's an ancient Chinese art, and everybody knew their part. From a fainting to a slip, and a kicking from the hip, everybody was kung fu fighting.